everybody and welcome to another installment of the bat around i'm your host paul valley with me as always is my co-host zach goodman zach how you doing today i am great we got some great guests on the show today it's gonna be a good show absolutely we do have some great guests on the show today should be a good one for you all it is a beautiful fall saturday morning here in baltimore we're only gonna get to about 59 60 degrees today but yesterday was cold wet and miserable so i'll take today over yesterday any day of the week and we're going to get back into the 70s next week. So nice, warm October for everybody. We all know that that weather makes my, uh, the weather. My mood depends on the weather is what I'm trying to say. If I can learn the English language today. Guys, thanks for joining the bat around. We are live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Zach mentioned that we have some great guests coming on the show today. And that's 100% correct. As always... We have Stan the Fan Charles coming on at 1020 for his weekly segment. He's going to talk to us a little bit about some Orioles layoffs, what that could mean for the roster moving forward, and he's also going to talk to us about his take on the playoffs and how things are shaking out right now. The Rays on the verge of becoming just the second team in Major League history to blow a 3-0 series lead they do, the Astros will go to the World Series and become just the second team since the 2004 Boston Red Sox came back from a 3-0 deficit against the Yankees to make it to the World Series without showing, trying not to show too much bias in sports. I adjust my mic a little bit here. It's a little high because Kyle Ottenheimer is about a foot taller than I am, and he usually sits in this uh, in this seat. I do not want to see the Astros make it to the World Series. And I... I, I I don't want to see the Astros make it to the World Series because I'm tired of hearing them. I'm tired of hearing them talk, Zach. Uh, It's us against the world. Fine, that's how it should be. You're a team. We get it. Cool. But Carlos Correa, and we've talked about this a couple of weeks in a row now. What are people going to say? Well, if you didn't need to cheat to win, like if you were capable of this without buzzers and without beating on trash cans, then why'd you do it in the first place? That's what people are going to say. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, the Astros didn't need to cheat. Let's let's just talk about that in the first place because this is a talented roster up and down the board. It was in 2017. It is now. And this is still a team capable, cheating or not, of winning the World Series. So for anybody to say it's them against the world, that's just kind of a ridiculous statement. You know, they're, they're a very talented team. They're certainly better than a lot of the teams that were in the playoffs this year, including Miami, including Toronto. So this is a team that deserves to be where they are right now in 2020, but it's certainly not an us-against-the-world situation. It, it's certainly not that. And it, it's, not, it's not a fun thing for anyone because... You know, Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, George Springer, all of these guys are now talking and and being these attitudes that we don't like anymore. It's really sad to see because I was a fan of all of these guys before the cheating scandal. I really, really liked them after reading the book Astro Ball. And, you know, to see what they're doing now just kind of disappoints me. And the whole us against the world argument doesn't really sit right with me. Well, yeah. And, like, I think we we all were fans of, of 
Altuve and Bregman and Correa and George Springer. It was a great story. You know, Sports Illustrated predicted that the Astros would win that 2017 World Series. They went out and did it. They did it the right way. They went through it. Now, look, John Heyman and Buster Olney and all those guys who sit there and say that what the Orioles are doing may be bad for baseball and going out there and losing, tanking, losing 100 games three or four years in a row to get those high draft picks. You can think what you want, but it works. It's proven to work, and we all were behind the Astros when it worked for them. And then the whole cheating scandal happens. And if and even still, they had an opportunity to keep their fans. They had an opportunity to keep people on their side by saying, you know what, we felt the pressure, we went out there and we did things that we weren't supposed to do, and we're truly sorry for it. It was a mistake in judgment. You know, you do crazy things to get to the pinnacle of your profession. We shouldn't have done it, and it'll never happen again. But instead, they acted like they didn't want to be there. They acted like they they sounded like they were reading off a prompter for those when they were apologizing in spring training, and they they looked pompous and arrogant in doing it. it, it it just was a bad look for the Astros. It's a bad look for baseball that none of these players were punished. And now we have to sit here and listen to them. We have to listen to them talk and talk and talk. It's us against the world. Everybody doubted us. Well, yeah, because you went 29-31. and 31. You were under 500. You shouldn't be in the playoffs. And I am all for playoff expansion and getting more teams into the playoffs and having more fan bases engaged later in the season than you would with only 10 teams in in the playoffs like it was in years past. I'm all for that. But let's not act like you belong there. You were sub-500. You are the 2010 Seattle Seahawks. 7-9. and nine. And yeah, they went out and they, they, they won a playoff game. The fact that you're a win away from the World Series, it speaks to the talent on that roster. But you were 29-31. and 31. You didn't play well enough to get there, and yet because of a new strange rule... You're in. Anyway, I got sidetracked here. Uh, our other guest today at uh, 1050, we have a former Orioles and Braves pitching coach, m- more well-known for the Braves, uh, Leo Mazzoni. He's going to join the program to talk about the Atlanta Braves, the playoffs, and his time here in Baltimore, if he doesn't mind. Uh, and then at 1135, everybody's favorite, Jeremy Kahn, is going to join the program to give his thoughts on the Orioles season, the playoffs, and what's going to happen in the off season. Plus, we're going to do... A cool little segment during our Orioles banter stretch today where um, we're going to look at some Orioles players and how they they performed on their birthday, considering two days ago is Jim Palmer's 75th birthday, and it kind of gave me the idea. Happy happy belated birthday to Cakes Jim Palmer, uh, 75, and looks like he could go for another 25 years here. So um, happy birthday to Jim Palmer. Now getting back to the ALCS. Rays were up three games to none. They lose last night 7-4 to four to even that series 3-3. Ian Snell, four innings pitch, two earned runs, but four walks. And then that, that Rays bullpen came in and gave up five runs. That, that vaunted bullpen came in and gave up five runs. What have you seen from this team? They got they got off to a hot start. They were 3-0. and Their bullpen had given up two runs in those three games. Bullpen's given up seven runs the last two games. Yeah, it's funny. As soon as they hit 3-0 and they won that third game, I said, there's no way they win 
four in a row, and the Astros come back and win the series. And now it's a 3-3 tie. So anything can happen. And, you know, the Astros have clearly played better in the playoffs than they did in the regular season, whether anyone likes it or not. That's just the way it is. And they've outpitched the Rays, and they've outhit the Rays by a large margin. It really hasn't been that close. And, and if you look up and down the board, the Rays have a talented roster. That's that's not really th- a thing to debate, but they don't have the star power and, and the, these great guys that I think – let them down in the series a little bit. They just didn't have enough to to finish off the series. They have Randy Rosarena. They have a couple solid batters in this lineup, but they don't have the guy that's going to change the series for you. I feel like that's what the Rays lack a bit. And their lineup just hasn't looked incredible. They're only hitting 199 in the series. I feel like they're missing that extra bat, that last piece to really finish off this lineup. And then when the pitching doesn't perform, when the bullpen gives up a bunch of runs, when your starter gives up a bunch of runs, you're just not going to win too many games. And that's how it's kind of fallen for the last three for the, uh, for the Rays. Well, yeah, and they've, they're wearing out Diego Castillo. The guy's been damn near unhittable in the postseason, but he gave up... Um, he gave up, what was it? Oh, my God, I had it in my notes. He gave up two runs on three hits in his inning pitched yesterday. Um, they were going to get to him sometime, at some point, right? He, I feel like he's pitched in every game this series so far. At some point, if you continue to see the same pitcher over and over and over, you're, the odds are you're going to get to him at some point, and that happened last night. Now, look, Diego Castillo is not the reason they lost that ball game. Mike Zanino had three pass balls in that game, three pass balls in that game, Usually, about 10 pass balls leads the, leads the American League or leads the major leagues. Three in one game, that's ridiculous. So, the the Rays didn't do themselves any favors last night. Tonight, they're going to have... Um, tonight, it's going to be... Help me out here, man. I, 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 I can't remember who's pitching tonight. I'm going to have to find that for you. I don't have that up here, but I... I, I had it in my notes, and I... And I oh, I'm sorry. It's going to be Lance McCullers versus Charlie Morton. Let, Sorry, guys. I had it in my notes, and I couldn't see it. Lance McCullers taking on Charlie Morton. But they, they both started Game 2 of that series. Uh, McCullers, McCullers uh, I believe he went five innings, gave up, uh, gave up... No, I'm sorry, he went seven innings, and he struck out 11. He gave up four runs. Only one of them were earned, but he did give up a couple of home runs. Charlie Morton got the start He uh, for, the, for the Rays. He went five innings, gave up one run, struck out five. So it should be a good matchup here. Uh, in in that game, I think that Morton's the better pitcher, but like you said, that Rays lineup's only hit him 199 in the uh, in the ALCS right now. And do they have enough firepower to get to not blow this 3-0 series lead? Do they have enough firepower to make it to the World Series? And like you said, with the Rays, they're missing that one bat, that one that one star. But the problem with them is they're never going to have that guy. They either have to grow him, like a Randy Rosarena is becoming that guy, right? But how long till he's shipped off someplace else because they don't want to pay him $25 million a year? Now, look, it's a small sample size for Rosarena. It's only his second year in the big leagues, um, but he's really showing well right now. They need one more bat. They're not going to get it this series. Austin Meadows could be that bat. He needs to step up. Hunter Renfro needs to step up. These are guys with serious power. They need to step up in this game because... It may come down to who hits that final home run, and it's been the Astros the last three games, so it could come down to that. Moving over to the NLCS, 
Uh, the Braves took a three to one series lead, and then they lose last night to the Dodgers, uh, seven to three. Another instance where a great bullpen faltered. Uh, the bullpen, you know, Minter came in and he started that game uh, it, as an opener. He went three innings, one hit, no walks, seven strikeouts, absolutely dominant. Then the rest of the bullpen comes in. The next four relievers combined to give up seven hits and seven runs, including three home runs with only five Ks in four innings. Not a great showing last night by any stretch by the Braves' bullpen. What are you seeing from that series? Do the Dodgers have what it takes to get back? Because they're still, they're still the team to beat until they're out of it. But they seem to falter when it gets to this point in the year for the last 30 years. Yeah, we talked about it last week. The Dodgers and the Braves, the pitching as far as the bullpen side goes, just isn't really that good. The Braves were relying on Will Smith in the series, and currently he has a 16.2 ERA. That's not going to cut it for anyone. Darren O'Day has not pitched well at all. He's a 54 ERA currently. So some of these guys that the Braves really rely on, and the Dodgers well, I'll get to them in a second, but the Braves, some of these guys just aren't pitching well and really aren't showing up for them in these playoff series. And the starters haven't been bad. You mentioned A.J. Minter. I believe he's the first player ever to make his first career start in a postseason game. So I thought that was a pretty incredible stat, but he pitched well. He came out there, like you said, struck out seven. He was pretty dominant, but he is a relief pitcher. As an opener, you're not going to leave him in more than a few innings. That's all they did. The Braves' bullpen just couldn't hold up. And, And, you know, the Dodgers, of course, they're the better team here. You know, they, they really are a complete team. They've got everything besides maybe a back end of the bullpen, as we talked about before. Both of these teams just haven't pitched that well, though. The Braves, they've got a 6.2 ERA. The Dodgers have a 5.3 ERA. That's not going to cut it for any team. But the Dodgers have found a way to get to that Braves bullpen, and that's why they've won uh, two games straight. Yeah, the, that Braves, that Braves uh, pitching staff, had given up six runs in their first six games of the postseason. Then they get, they were they had an eight to three lead uh, in game two in the in the bottom of the ninth inning, or, and they gave up uh, four runs, almost lost that game. Then they come out the next game and they give up eleven runs in the first inning. And really, when you think about the fact that they're, you said what their ERA was what six and a half at just about six point two, yeah, six point two, and they gave up fifteen runs. In two in, in back-to-back innings in, in between game two and game three, that ERA could be a lot worse than six point two, considering that fact. Um, both teams need to pitch better. Both teams need to hit better, uh, which is which is weird to say. Well, maybe not. The Dodgers have come out have come out swinging. There've been a couple of blowouts, but it seems like either of these teams, once they get down big, they just stop scoring. You know, and that's that's just the way it's been this series. You got Max Fried going up against Walker Buehler. This is a rematch of Game One in the series. Fried went six innings, one earned run, nine strikeouts in Game One. Buehler five innings pitched, one earned run, seven Ks, but he also walked five. Uh, Buehler's walked nine batters his last two starts. In your heart of hearts, what's your World Series matchup that starts on Tuesday? You know, it's really tough to call right now. I think it's really tough to call, but I still do have the Dodgers coming back in the series. You know, I I really think the Dodgers will win the NLCS, and I'm going to pick the Astros 
to take it in the ALCS. <coughs> you know, the, the Rays have just struggled so bad over these past couple days. I don't know if they have the momentum to come in tonight and win that game and get them into the World Series. They don't have the star power for it. I think the, the Astros are just more experienced across the board in the playoffs, and they've got a guy, Michael Brantley, who we didn't mention before, but he's been absolutely excellent in the series. He's a veteran presence who's really stepped up for them, and that's the guy I think is going to take them to the World Series. Absolutely. I think that uh, I think that the Astros have all the momentum right now. I think they have the core that has that experience in the playoffs over the Rays. Uh, I didn't think I'd ever see it again, uh, team down 3-0 and lose the series, and I think that that's what's going to happen. I, I think the Astros are going to win. I still think the Braves are going to win this series with the Dodgers. Uh, the Dodgers haven't proven to me that they can get over the hump. Right? They've won eight straight division titles. They've been to two World Series. They've been to countless um, league championship series, and yet they still haven't won a title since 1988. It's just one of those things where seeing is believing, and I haven't seen that they can get over the hump and win a championship. Going down 3-1 to an inferior team, I they could come back. I wouldn't be surprised if they do come back, but I think the Braves are going to win one of the next two games, and take the series and get back to their first World Series since 1999. Quickly, the Orioles are in instructional leagues. They do start a, um, a nice little instructional game schedule. Uh, on Monday, they'll play the Rays. On Tuesday, they'll play the Pirates. And on Wednesday, they'll play the Rays again. All told, they'll play about eight different teams. It may not be eight different teams, but they're going to play eight games, but they're also going to play a couple of split squad games. So it could turn into ten games overall. Hopefully, we'll have some of those um, game stats to talk about next Saturday on the bat around here. Um, Orioles, Zach, you want to sound off about this, and we'll get to that in just a second. Laid off 50 employees this past week. Uh, and it's, it's, it's par for the course across the league. There's just no money. There's just, I mean, okay, let me rephrase. There's plenty of money. They act like there's no money. The owners act like there's no money. Look, they had no fans in the stands until the NLCS. Uh, so you don't have any revenue from that. It was a 60-game season as it is. They did have the expanded playoffs to get more money, but it's not going to recoup the 7 to $8 billion that they lost this year. All these teams are doing layoffs. It's more impactful here in Baltimore because the Orioles are in the middle of a rebuild. Uh, they're not known for spending a ton of money recently, as it is. Everybody thinks that the owner is cheap. Sometimes I think that's a little unfounded. Um, but it's scary for Orioles fans when you're seeing now four years of losing, you're in the third year of, of, of rebuild, and your team's not spending money, and they're cutting payroll. And with all the rumors about Nashville that came about at the beginning of last year, I, which, again, are also unfounded, and no, no new lease being signed up, people are reasonably freaking out. They're freaking out. And then John Mioli posts an article that says that the Orioles might not. But uh, This was all speculation. John's doing his job in the offseason. He's finding things to write about. If the Orioles are getting rid of 50 employees and they're laying off, they're laying off 50 employees. They're getting rid of two coaches, prominent coaches on the pitching on the on the pitching staff and uh, on the base paths in Jose Flores and Doug Brocale because of salary reasons. Why would they pick up a 3.5 million dollar option on a 30 plus year old middle infielder in Jose Iglesias who does not factor into the rebuild? And why would they? Give 2.1 million to Hanser Alberto in arbitration. I'm sorry, 2.3 million and 2.1 million to Renato Nunez in arbitration. I personally think that they're going to sign both of those. They're going to offer arbitration to both those players and then try to trade them like they like they did with VR and Bundy last off season. But Zach, you, 
are pretty passionate about what's going on with these layoffs here in Baltimore uh, because you're one of those people that thinks it doesn't look good for this team. Yeah, I, I think if you, you see a team like the Dodgers cut 50 people, you don't really bat an eye. No one really cares because the Dodgers are winning. They have a lot of money, and you know they're going to keep signing free agents, and they're going to keep being players because that's who they are. They're, they're a money-rich team, and they know what they're doing. But the Orioles, on the other hand, when you see them starting to fire all of these people, again, like all teams are, it just worries you down the road that when the Orioles are competitive again in a few years, maybe two, maybe three years, are they going to be willing to spend the money that they're going to have to to be able to compete? You know, you can talk about the the elite talent pipeline all of you, all you want. I mean, it's it's a great thing to think about. It's awesome if all of these prospects come up and be the next core of the Orioles team. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes, once in a while, you're going to have to sign a free agent or two to keep supplementing that roster and keep making that roster better and better, and you're going to have to use money once in a while. That's just how it goes. You know, I think the Orioles should have a pristine player development department. I think they should have a pristine scouting department. So when I see them laying off all these people, it just worries me that two to three years down the road, they won't be able to supplement that core with with more money to make this team even better into a World Series champion. That's what worries me right now. And again, and we talked about this, Zach, before the show started. Again, all teams are doing this. Right. Maybe, yeah, not, maybe not 50 employees. But all teams do. It's not like this is a year where there was no pandemic. It's not like COVID didn't happen and they're just doing this out of the blue. All teams are doing this. Uh, and again, people, we just freak out because the Orioles are in the middle of a rebuild and they're doing this. If it was, if we were Yankees fans, the team that we cover was the Yankees, we wouldn't have an issue with it because we know that they're going to go out and spend the money when they need to spend it. I don't think that the Orioles are not going to sign free agents in the future. I didn't really expect them to sign free agents this offseason. This just even further proves the point. Um, but they also could be looking to recoup money so they can you know, pick up that option on Jose Iglesias. With all of that in mind, we have Stan the Fan Charles on the line. Stan, how do you feel about the Orioles' layoffs? Do you think it's bad for the team or do you think it's par for the course right now? I think it's pretty much par for the course except for one thing about the Orioles that the Orioles financial situation is a little less clear than other organizations because of the the succession plan that the Orioles have in place Uh, you know it's been a couple years now that uh, John has been pretty much running the the baseball operation he's been running the entire company and um, we don't we don't have a clear understanding of whether or not the Orioles have access to the same cash that they had when Peter was running the team a lot of time that gets very confusing uh, until the person actually passes and the state takes over so uh, it, it it's very unclear so that's that's the only thing that gives me pause, uh, that this could be a little bit different. Well, we certainly hope that it's... Um that that's not the case. That remains to be seen. Again, and, and that's what makes it so difficult, is that the Orioles are in the middle of a rebuild, so you're not expecting them to go out and spend a ton of money anyway. But if that remains the case in 2022 and 2023, when their young stars come up to the roster and they start to get a bit competitive, but need that one extra pitcher or that one extra you know, bat in the lineup, and then they don't go get it because they don't want to spend the money, that's when it's going to be an issue. But right now, for me, it's... 
this is just what's happening across baseball, and the Orioles aren't impervious to it. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, let's be let's be real about this for a second. In the 2019 season, it's not as if the Orioles uh, had a strong uh, attendance base to begin with. Right. So if you look at it from when's the last time the Orioles as a company made, you know, had a, had a really nice uh, revenue stream, you got to go back like three three years probably three to four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been chipping away. Then you factor in the the fact that the man who owns the team is incapacitated, and we don't know exactly what the succession plan is and how his will reads and those things that we don't really uh, enjoy talking about. Uh, nobody does. It's just it's unclear on how much suffering the Orioles are going under right now. Well, yeah, that 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 is that is a factual statement, and it, it'll it'll remain unclear until we're out of the woods with this whole COVID thing. Now, you mentioned suffering, and Major League Baseball as a whole has been suffering a lot in the last several weeks. We lost another legend of the game this past week in Joe Morgan. Stan, what were your thought? What are your thoughts on Joe Morgan, the player and the man? Well, um, I. I, um, he, he was a marvelous player. Uh, he did a very solid job as a broadcast analyst. Uh, and he's probably, we could probably argue that he's the greatest second baseman that's ever played the game. Although, um, you know, Ryan Sandberg was pretty good in my lifetime as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, But Joe Morgan was a tremendous player. And I'm just sort of, um, I'm just sort of stunned at the uh, the club that we've lost over the last six weeks, starting with Tom Seaver, Lou Brock, Bob Gibson, Whitey Ford, and Joe Morgan. Uh, four of the five of them first ballot Hall of Famers. I got uh, educated that Whitey Ford was not, which was hard for me to believe, because all he seemed to ever do was beat the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, he was a terrific pitcher, uh, and when you throw in Al Kaline, who passed away in late March or early April, that's uh, six pretty good players, uh, pretty great players that we've lost. Yeah, it's been a it's been a rough 2020 as a whole, but also for Major League Baseball, losing six stars of the game, and all of them. To a man, seem to be genuinely good people, which is which makes it even harder uh, to 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 fathom that this is all happening at the same time. But like you said last week, you know maybe God just needed some more players on his team up there. So uh, yeah. thoughts I'll out to tell you a real quick funny story is uh, my wife got me. I got married in 1999 for the first time at 47 years of age, and my wife, believe it or not, really got me much more interested in sort of collecting signed baseballs. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we moved to Durham, North Carolina in 2001, um, I became kind of friendly at the Durham Bulls ballpark there and uh, found out that Joe Morgan was coming as a guest to sign autographs because he had played for the Durham Bulls in uh, one of his minor league stops along the way. I guess they were a farm club of the Houston Astros at the time in the uh, mid-60s. 
uh, anyway, I got my baseball and I was standing in line. You know, it's a long line. You know, it must have been 100, 150 people. And they announced right at the very beginning that he's not signing anything but the game day program that day. So I was disappointed uh, not to be able to get a signed baseball. Uh, that's that's strange that they would only let him allow him to sign one thing, but well, uh, no, not really because they did. First of all, you knew that he was only going to sign one item. Right. In other words, nobody was going to come up and get five five balls or something. But well, yeah, they, that makes sense. They they did it. They did it so people didn't just automatically get get something that they could sell on eBay for seventy five or a hundred dollars. I guess gotcha. eBay wasn't around in 2003 or something, but they didn't want people to immediately profit off of signing, uh, his signing that day. That wasn't the purpose of it. So I got my little magazines signed, and I've got a Joe Morgan autograph somewhere around here. have no idea where it is. <laughs> well, hopefully you, you find that and put that on full display. Now, you mentioned yeah. that you lived down in Durham, and you were at the Durham Bulls Stadium. The Durham Bulls happen to be an affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays, who are yeah, on the don't. who are on the verge right now of blowing a 3-0 series lead to the Astros in the ALCS. Why if, aren't they on the verge of winning the uh, American League championship? Well, well, they they are. <laughs> glass know, half full. The, that's a that is a very glass half full perspective, yeah. Stan. I appreciate that. Yes, the Rays yeah. are on the verge of making it to their first World Series since 2008. However, if they don't, they'll be only the second team in Major League history to blow a 3-0 series lead, joining the right. Boston, uh, joining the New York Yankees who blew that 3-0 series lead in 2004 to the Boston Red Sox. Now, Stan, I think that you may be just answered my next question, but are the Rays done? The Astros have all of the momentum. Well, they certainly have an awful lot of momentum, but, you know, in baseball, that old adage is you're only, your momentum is only as good as tomorrow's pitcher still stands true. True. And it, it, if, if, I did, if I sort of separated this from what it appears right now, I would give Charlie Morton a better chance of winning tonight's game than, than Lance McCullers. Um, I think he's a, a really terrific uh, post-game pitcher. His last four post-game, now he will not pitch more than five innings, more mm-hmm. than likely if he, if he goes that long. But uh, the, the key will be, can they scrape across a couple runs? Can Randy Rosarina... Uh, run into a, fa- a Lance McCullers fastball and uh, and knock it over the fence. We'll see. I would still like the Tampa Bay Rays to win tonight's game. So, Stan, you mentioned that Morton may only go five innings. That's usually kind of the leash for Charlie Morton. He's an older pitcher at this point in his career. Do you think yeah. the Rays' bullpen can hold up because they haven't in the past couple nights? I'm, I'm, uh, you know, it's funny. They've got a tremendous bullpen, and I think they they are subject to uh, having a manager who thinks he's sort of a, a boy genius, and he wants to show you at every step of the way. And I'm sure he has his rationales for things, but when I saw Diego Castillo running in last night, uh, what was that, in the fifth inning? 
Or yes. was it the sixth inning? I think it was the sixth. No, no, I sixth think it was the fifth inning. It, it was either the fifth or sixth. And I understand that whole rationale in today's baseball that some more modern thinking managers say, I want my best pitcher in when the game is on the line. That makes sense, but I wonder how often this season Diego Castillo came into a game in the fifth inning or sixth inning uh, when the adrenaline is not the same as it is in the ninth inning. Uh, so I think he got a little too cute last night uh, for his own good last night. And uh, he, uh, you know, he burned a bullet last night. I'm sure Castillo will have a, a couple outs in him tonight if it comes down to it. Uh, but I, I've, I've found his bullpen usage all season very curious and goes against the grain. Now, all the players are not going to complain about it. They're going to say, we'll do whatever it takes to win. We're egoless. But there is something about having your relief pitchers kind of know their roles and get used to those roles. And uh, I also think they're very much there's something to relief pitchers getting sort of addicted to that that adrenaline rush of, of being where where they belong, so to speak. So while it was a calculated gamble last night, it certainly didn't pay off. Well, yeah, and they've been using Diego Castillo almost every game, it seems. he It seems like he's out there. Now, he didn't pitch in game five, but I feel like he pitched in three or if not all the first four games. Uh, is there... Maybe some overuse there that caused him to be ineffective last night. Well, uh, look, um, you know, I think they've, I think Major League Baseball, and I understand that, that they want to get the season over, and uh, for a variety of reasons. But you, you entered into that bubble, and I think what baseball may have bumped up against is they may very much not have wanted to be front and center the night before the election. Uh, the night of the election or the night after the election uh, because this decision to play the championship series seven games in seven days, it's unprecedented. And as I understand, the teams were really not informed of that before the trade deadline. Yeah, I, I didn't know that that, that, that was going to be a thing until I, until I saw it while watching the American League Division Series, uh, I, yeah. I, I didn't realize that they weren't going to have a day off. And then I thought that that was also going to be the case for the World Series. But they do have two off days built into that World Series. And with yeah. with, with that in mind, Stan, uh, people want to put an asterisk next to whoever wins the World Series this year because it was a truncated season. You had extra playoff teams. But to me, it seems like this has been one of the more difficult postseasons any team has had to go through because, like you said, you don't get an off day in the LCS. You have potentially two extra games added to your postseason schedule by having a wild card series rather than a wild card game. You're playing a ton of games in a short amount of days. It could be a harder World Series, and I think that maybe it needs to hold as much weight as just about every other World Series. Yeah, and and the things that the teams went through during the regular season, you know, uh, this has been a very difficult season on everybody. Uh, the fact that it's been sixty games, 
we're all, you know, it, we're all going to remember that. You know, when all you have to do is look at the record of the team during the regular season, and you go, wait a minute, there were 60 games, you know. Uh, so it doesn't take an asterisk, you know, just like it, Bob Dylan's song, it doesn't take a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Uh, we're not idiots, uh, but I don't think it deserves an asterisk as to the fact that it was less difficult. Uh, I think uh, this gauntlet that they're making teams run through in the postseason, the way it's been shaped with an extra series thrown in uh, and no off day in the championship series, makes it a very tough uh, tough battle. You know. Yeah, and Stan, after seeing how these playoffs have kind of played out after this 60-game shortened season, would you be in would, – would you want to at all – take this 162-game season and shorten it to 110 games or 112 games or somewhere around that length? Look, I I see... I, I, look, I love as much baseball as the next guy or gal, you know. I mean, so the baseball season to me has, has been sort of a perfect part of my life for a long time, but I'm 68 years old now. And I, I, first of all, Zach, with all due respect, they're never going down to 110 games or 120. I, I could see them realistically chopping off eight, eight to, to 18 games, somewhere in that range. Uh, the old mark used to be 154. Uh, I could see them possibly taking it down to 140 in some way, shape, or form and build, build in more permanence and expand the playoffs, even maybe on one other level or something like that. So you get to about September 10th, and then, like basketball, this five- or six-week entity takes over that's the second season. That's what looks like is happening. But, you know, they've got the players' union is never going to let them, uh, this side of a pandemic, shorten the season that much. Without, without the return being a lot more money into the pot with postseason revenue. Yeah, I just I can't. I think, I think what we've I think what we've seen, and and I don't blame you for not asking me, and me for not bringing it up. But I think what we've seen subtly is these new TV commercials that run during the the actual play by play during a pitching break. Oh yeah. Uh, not a pitching break, like a pitching coach will come out and they'll go, "Let's uh let's hear a word from Old Dominion." And then all of a sudden this 12 second commercial or maybe it's 15 seconds runs on the air while we're you know, while you the screen splits and you're seeing the pitching coach walk off the mound. That's where some added revenue with you project a year or two, three down the road, that's where a lot of revenue can come from is the postseason and multiplying the amount of dollars they can start to get beyond the inning, regular innings breaks. Yeah, uh, they're going to have to find a way. Otherwise, I, I don't see any change to the schedule, anything coming back down from 162 games because it's such a loss of money to cut games off of your schedule, and that's what they're all about, is is the almighty dollar. Unless they get more sponsorship, they have more commercial breaks, or like you said, the commercials running during a pitching change or, or a mound visit. Otherwise, I just don't see them 
Yeah, the play, the players' association is going to you know it's over our dead bodies. Allow them to just sort of you know every year cut down the games in the regular season. Now I. As I look at it right now, and I look at the you know the uh, the the state of the pandemic, I, I'm really really not thinking we're getting a regular season next year either. Uh, I don't see what's going to change uh, between now and then. I don't I don't think when spring training starts we're going to have a uh, any type of um, a vaccine, uh, and I think there's going to be very limited fans in the stands. We'll probably have made a certain accommodation with it. Uh, you know, what's been unusual is those games at uh, Dodger Stadium, uh, not Dodger Stadium, Globe Life Park, they actually have fans in the stands. Yeah. Not a tremendous number, but they have some in the stands. Yeah, uh, 11, I believe it's 11,500 for the NLCS and for the World Series, so fans yeah. getting a little taste of baseball in the postseason. That's, that's an unusual historical thing when you look at the history of stadiums that that stadium is getting the first games it's getting are not home games for the team that built the stadium, you know, in the state. Uh, it's it's games that are in playoffs. It's very uh, interesting, you know, historically. Well, yeah, and they, they need they spent billions of dollars on that stadium, so it would be nice to get a little bit of revenue uh, from yep. having that thing open this year. Now, Sam, before we get to the Dodgers and the Braves, and we only have a little bit of time left, yep. um, I do want to ask you, the last team to blow a 3-0 lead in a series was the Yankees in 2004. They had been to seven of the previous nine World Series. After they blew that series lead, it took them five years to get to another World Series in 2009, and they haven't been back since. What does blowing a 3-0 lead do to the psyche of a franchise, uh, and what, what could that do to the Rays moving forward? Uh, I, I really think it's more a coincidence than some type of uh, sudden lack of confidence, you know, that they, they had. I, I really don't think there's much to it other than that, and we certainly don't have much history to go on because, uh, right. as I understand it, isn't that the only time that's happened? Yes, the only time. The only time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't think we have much to go on. It's a small uh, sample size as they say. So I, I, if the Rays lose this, I still think they're going to be a very good franchise. Um, I think it's. I think you have a situation with the Rays where they're a pretty young ball club for the most part and a, and a, a sort of a seasoned but young manager. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know exactly what they could have done differently, but uh, I think they sort of thought they had it wrapped up when they were ahead 3-0. Because that's just been the history that when you're up 3-0, you're going to win the series. Yeah. I still think they're going to come back and win tonight. I, I don't think there's a lot of uh, a, a lack of confidence on this baseball team. Well, certainly, and you do look at uh, just a few years ago in the NCAA playoffs, the Virginia Cavaliers were the number one team in the country, and they lost to the 16th seed UMBC Retrievers, and that was the only time that's ever happened. The next season, yep. Virginia comes back and they and, win the national and title. came back the next year and won the championship? Virginia came back and won the national title. That's my yeah. point. So it, it, it yep. could just be fuel to the fire for them to get back and, and come back and play better next year. Now the, yeah. now the Dodgers found themselves in a 3-1 series hole to the Braves. They came back and won last night 7-3. to The Dodgers stand... For for all intents and purposes, have been the best team or one of the top 
two teams in baseball for the better part of a decade. They've won eight straight uh, uh, division titles. They've been to the World Series twice, yet they haven't won a title since 1988. Can they win three straight, including last night, to get back to the World Series and get over that hump? What happens to this team once they get to October? They, they can, but uh, I will tell you, I like the Braves' chances a lot more. Uh, Me too. Leading three to, three to two right now. Um, I just I don't think Walker Bueller. I think he's going to be brilliant tonight for however long he pitches. Uh, but I I I think Freed will outdo him in some way, shape, or form tonight. They really I will give them credit. They really bit the bullet last night, um, you know, and and really came back strong last night. The other factor they have is the Clayton Kershaw factor. And I guess Kershaw would come back in a game seven. And I'm just as great as he is, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, he's just a different pitcher in the playoffs. And they're, unlike your question about a team losing after their head 3-0, we got a large sample size that says that Clayton Kershaw is just not a great, great big-time pitcher. Yeah, it, it seems like he struggles when the lights are the brightest, unfortunately. And he, he pitched yep. well at the beginning of this postseason, but that, that game four start was not good, especially once he got around the fifth or sixth inning. Maybe they could use him in a three- to four-inning role just to get through the lineup one one to maybe two times uh, and then get it to the bullpen. That remains to be seen. So your matchup, though, Stan, you had uh, Rays-Dodgers when we talked last week. Is that still where you're going, or you think it's going to be Rays-Braves? I think it's. I think there's a better chance of it being Rays-Braves than Rays-Dodgers. But talk to me if you do a Sunday show, and I know how that game six turns out. Um, you know, I clearly the Dodgers will have quite a bit of momentum going in, just like the Astros do tonight. But I think it's uh, all about the pitching. And if Lance McCullers is really brilliant tonight, then then he's going to be tough to beat. But my money is on Charlie Morton being a little bit more of a big-game pitcher uh, over the past couple of seasons. Well, I certainly hope you're right, Stan. I think Braves-Rays is more exciting for baseball as a whole. Two teams that have haven't been to the World Series since 08 and 99 and haven't won one since 95. So, yep. Stan, thanks so much for joining the program. we got to get Always a break, Bo. a pleasure. Yes, See sir. you guys later. Yeah, we'll talk thanks, to you next guys. week. See you. Thanks, Paul. Bye. That was Stan the Fan Charles joining the program here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. The Bataround is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. And I think I skipped over that live read. And if you're missing your Stan the Fan fix, do not worry. Because you can get it twice a week on Facebook Live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. Find both shows via the videos tab at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or at PressBoxOnline.com. This past week, Stan and Gary caught up with legendary Maryland play-by-play voice Johnny Holiday. They do have a show Monday. They have a show Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be Stan and Ross Grimsley on Monday, Stan and Gary Stein on Wednesday. The guests for that show have not been announced yet, 
But as soon as we know who those guests are, we will get them out to you. Uh, check the press box, Twitter page, check Facebook. Uh, we will have that information for you as soon as it becomes available. We got to get a break, but when we come back, former Braves and Orioles pitching coach Leo Mazzoni joins the program. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. Also, you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son... We're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate you. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate it, y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dicky V, Dick Vitale. Kyle is too diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. Welcome back to the Battle Round here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Once again, I'm Paul Valley with my co-host, Zach Goodman. On the line right now, we have a very special guest. We have former Braves and Orioles pitching coach Leo Mazzoni. Leo, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining the program. Yeah, I'm doing great because here's, here's what you got today, guys. You've got Notre Dame football at 2.30. You've got the Atlanta Braves at 4.30. And you have Alabama and Georgia at eight o'clock, so I think my my day's pretty well uh, pretty well taken up. 
Yeah, it looks like you have a, a great slate of sports to watch here on a nice Saturday. How's the weather down there, man? You're down in Georgia, right? It's yeah. It's I'm on, I'm on uh, Lake Hartwell in, in in South Carolina. I'm about uh, uh, 15 minutes from the Clemson campus, and I'm I'm an hour and a half uh, north of Atlanta. So I'm on a big lake. So uh, we moved up here. Uh, uh, sold our home in Atlanta and moved up here uh, five years ago. So, but I can get to Atlanta easy or to Charlotte. So I'm right in the middle. Oh, there you go, there you go. Well, hopefully you're having as nice in October down there as we are up here in Baltimore. Now, Leo, seventy degrees and sunshine. There, there you go. You can't beat that. That sounds like perfect golfing weather to me. Uh, now, Leo, before we get to the set to your segment here, uh, Major League Baseball lost another legend this past week with the passing of Joe Morgan. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship and your interactions with Joe? Well, you know, Joe was uh, my interaction with Joe came with Sunday Night Baseball, and of course. The Braves were on a lot during our great 15-year run, so I uh, got to meet Joe a lot, do a lot of uh, uh, pregame uh, meetings with him. He'd have me go over pitching matchups for him, and was really a great, gracious guy. Here I am in awe of Joe Morgan, to be honest with you, and when somebody tells you, like Joe Morgan, he says, Leo, I love doing these uh, pregame shows with you, he said, because you always give me something new or interesting to talk about. You don't give me the usual cliches. So we developed a friendship over the years, and and uh, he would always come to the ballpark. Uh, hey, Leo, I'm looking for you. Where you at, Leo? And I'll be standing there right next to you. <laughs> so we had a, a very good friendship. Of course, I admired how he played in the Big Red Machine, and they all got together at the All Star Game in Atlanta with Pete Rose and that game, that Red Machine, and it was they were awesome. Uh, Johnny Bench, they they were all awesome. I got to uh, hang with them in Cooperstown. Uh, uh, basically, when uh, the Braves had their guys going in, we were up there four years in a row for for those great great moments in Cooperstown. And I got to be with Johnny Bench and Tony Perez and Joe Morgan and those types of people, and it was an honor for me. And you know, it's been a rough week for baseball with Whitey Ford and Bob Gibson and Lou Brock and um, Al Kaline. And I mean, the list. There's too many going by the wayside that I admire. But you know what? I felt very privileged in my life because I got to spend time with all those great, great ball players and great men. Well, absolutely. You've certainly been around a ton of Hall of Famers in in your lifetime, and hopefully, we get a little bit of a, of a reprieve from the loss that we've had. You know, you you mentioned all those names. We've had six legends of the game pass since since April uh, this year. So, hopefully, a little bit of a reprieve there. Now, now getting to the Braves here. They're in their first World Series. Well, they have the opportunity to go to their first World Series since 1999. They're playing in their first NLCS since 2001. You were with that team from nine. You were with that team for since the the late 70s. But you were their pitching coach from 1990 to 2005. They seem mm-hmm. to achieve that level of success, getting to the championship series, getting to the World Series, just by rolling out of bed in the 90s. What does it mean for that franchise and for that city to get back to this level of success? Well, it would be great. They've been building uh, and talking about the farm system for quite some time, and I see you see two young pitchers in 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 uh, uh, in Anderson has done extremely well, yeah. and the left hander, um, uh, it's, it, Max Fried is pitching tonight. He's yeah. done extremely well, and they don't have Soroka who tore his Achilles tendon, so they have three young building blocks there, and they were kind of counting on Cole Hamels as a free agent, and he didn't. Uh, he's never been able to overcome a sore arm, so. And their lineup is absolutely outstanding. I oh, mean, yeah. it's a great young lineup. And Freddie Freeman's the MVP. I, you know, I don't particularly care how baseball uses their starting pitchers anymore. 
Uh, you know, and I wouldn't have taken a couple times when they've taken starters out. I wouldn't have wanted to take them out. Not only the Braves, but any anybody concerned. I think the Dodgers have a real good habit of messing up their pitching every postseason for some reason. You know, and and I think uh, what you do, what you're finding out too, is bullpens are getting shot, and now you know bullpens are out of gas. And uh, you know, why not? Have, I mean, I believe you got to get more innings out of your starting uh, pitching, and it's 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 beyond me that you get to a point. In a, with a major league club that you go into a playoff game not knowing who's going to start the game. <laughs> oh, I mean, come on. Yeah, hey, hey Leo, it's Zach Goodman. Uh, and, and I want to talk a little bit more about that Atlanta Braves bullpen because it just hasn't been that good in the series. And two guys that are veterans that they were really counting on were Will Smith and Darren O'Day. What are, what's mm-hmm. the issue with those guys right now to pitch as bad as they have? And is that kind of the reason the Braves are in trouble right now? Well, number one, I don't, I don't think they're in trouble. I think the Dodgers are in trouble because the Braves have their two young starters coming back. Fair enough. And, uh, you know, and, and the Dodgers, they're starting to hear the stories now about you can't get to the World Series. This is like they're, they've been knocking on the door for seven or eight years now and they can't get there. Uh, I, I think what you see, when you see a couple of relievers on each club, whether it's the Braves, the Dodgers, the Astros, or Tampa Bay now is showing that, uh, you're, 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 getting teams, you're getting guys overexposed. In other words, they're good if you don't use them a whole lot. In other words, they have a certain role they have to play, and that role is not one. And as their roles increase in importance, you see the reasons why they're in, they're, they're, they're in the type of role that they're in. So it's overexposure, basically, is what it is. They're good. They, they're, everybody has their ups and downs, you know, but those are the types of guys when you're way up, you're way down, et cetera. But overexposure will show up when you're using people more than you should. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that the Rays have run into that with, uh, yeah. with Diego Castillo. They've. Uh-huh. It seems like he's pitching every game. He didn't pitch in Game Five, but it seems like he's pitching every game. And at some point, if you keep seeing the same pitcher, you're gonna get to him. That's just the odds of baseball. And I, I agree with you. I think that a little bit of overexposure is is kind of doing in uh, both the Dodgers and the Braves right well, now. You know how you eliminate overexposure? You 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 count on your starters going longer. Oh man, Leo. Let me tell you, I am such. I, I, I'm. I am on the same page with you. I think that if you have starters that can go six, seven, eight innings, it's so much better for your ball club. I hate the idea of an opener. I hate that we have so much emphasis on a hundred pitches because all these pitchers these days they're so focused on striking guys out that right. they're at a hundred pitches by the fifth inning, and then the next no question. Thing you know, and, and you know what? Here's something interesting, guys. You know, during that great run. We had uh, 537 starts from 91 to 93, and we only missed one start with the same group. Wow. And then over 14 years, uh, um, uh, we averaged our starting rotation, average making 146 of the 162 game scheduled starts, which to me is the thing I'm most proud of. Oh, Bottom absolutely. line is this is that, you know, you're, we, weren't over, we weren't enamored with how hard we were going to throw. We, were, we wanted to be w- w- our location and be very efficient. Uh, with our pitches. So the, the genius of Bobby Cox was, instead of pitch counts, he had a max out inning. So for, so for example, he would come to me and say, is he going say, is Glavin going to max out this inning, Leo? And I'd say, yes. Okay, well, we'll have so-and-so ready. Pitch count had no nothing to do with it. it was, he was going to max out his effort in that particular inning. Or if he wasn't going to max out and he was going to stay the same as far as his effort, then the pitch count didn't matter at there either. So, in other words, we felt that max-out innings were more important than actual pitch counts. 
You know, some guy could be top, be gassed at, at, with very few pitches, and some guys can be really strong with more, with a lot of pitches. It depends on the amount of effort and 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 what type of how many jams they got to pitch out of and stuff like that. Well, yeah, and, and I, I look at a guy like a Max Scherzer who goes out there and throws 130 pitches a game, and yet mm-hmm. he's lived up to every every penny that he's gotten in that deal from the Nationals. That's that seven year, 200 plus million dollar deal. If, if you have a workhorse like a Max Scherzer, like Tom Glavin or John Smoltz or Greg Maddox that can go out there and get you six to six to eight innings every single start, that is only good for your team. And then it limits that overexposure, like you said, uh, of the uh-huh. bullpen because they don't have to throw as many innings. And it's just the way baseball has gone, I'm just not a fan of the lack of no. emphasis on starting pitching. Well, the thing is, you know, the, the analytics, the catchers are standing up behind the plate. They're squatting down. I, you know, I texted uh, Maddox. I said, these catchers are driving, this way they set up is driving me crazy. He said he has a hard time watching it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and so, you know, and I, I told Glavin, I said, hey, Tommy, you're in the fourth or fifth inning, and you've only given up no runs or one run, and the, the, we're coming out to take you out. What are you going to do? He goes, there's going to be a fight on the mound. I don't want to come out, yep. you know. I, and uh, miss that and we, wanted, we wanted four starters four starters to pitch 200 innings the fifth starter was fine we, we you know whatever he, we were going to get out of the fifth starter was fine but we wanted four starters pitching 200 innings mm-hmm. you know it's the same way if you even looked in Baltimore with Eric Bedard Eric Bedard had two great years while I was there yeah oh he absolutely you did, did. He, he didn't know anything before he didn't do anything before that and he hadn't done anything after he didn't do anything after but he was a 15, 14 15 game winner two years in a row and he pitched a lot of innings but he pitched every you know we let him go well, so you let guys go. I mean, can you imagine those great Orioles stats with Palmer and, and Cuellar and McNally and, and Dobson? And you're saying, hey, you're, <laughs> Paul, how many times? I mean, I could see somebody coming out and try to take Jim Palmer or Bob Gibson out of a game. Can you? <laughs> oh, well, absolutely. Not. Palmer, Palmer pitched 20 complete games a year. I, I, it was. Yeah. It's it's so different from then yeah. to now. You can uh, still do it now. Just that nobody wants to. You can still do it. And basically, the way our arm stayed so healthy was we went more often with less exertion. In other words, we always practiced 60 feet, 6 inches going downhill to a catcher. Instead of flat-footed throwing or throwing a weighted ball against the wall. or do, We actually practiced what you're going to uh, uh, do when you go out there and pitch. Well, now it's not, it's not more often with less exertion. It's less often and as hard as you can throw. And the greatest, the greatest teacher a pitcher has is innings pitched, and they're taking innings pitched away from the pitchers, even in the minor leagues, minor leagues on up. So, so in your opinion, overall, with teams not letting their guys go as long and have these complete games like the 60s, like the 70s, is that just because 90s. teams, even the 90s, right, is that just because teams are that much more worried about these elbow injuries and these forearm injuries and all the things that can really hurt a pitcher over their career? Well, they, they talk they talk about all that, but they don't talk about the thing that's the, the major problem, and that is the emphasis on velocity. That's all you talk about. I mean, oh, Jansen last night. Oh, he, he hit ninety four miles an hour three times. That's well, you know what? Who cares? He got him out. You know, yeah. I don't care how hard a guy threw, or somebody said, oh, he's down two miles an hour. Who cares if you're locating it? Don't matter. It's it's just the sensationalism of velocity, and the sensationalism of balls going out of the ballpark at record rates. Don't tell me there's nothing wrong with the ball because there is. It's Absolutely, juice, you know. And so, therefore, and now what you're having too is fifty percent, fifty-two percent of Tommy John surgeries are are young, twenty years of age and younger because 
with the traveling baseball and all the games that these kids play, which is fine, the emphasis on velocity, and they're being told you don't make a club unless you throw hard enough. But he's, some of these scouts that have no clue say, well, if he don't throw 91, then we don't want him. Well, what if he can pitch? Right. Uh, you know, Matt, uh, Tommy Glavin, Mad Dog, you know, 88 miles an hour, 89. And plus the fact is, too, for the fans out there, whatever you see, whatever you see velocity-wise, just subtract five miles an hour. Yeah. Because if they don't time the ball coming across home plate no more. Well, they do. They time it coming out of their pitching hand. Well, they, they're not throwing 95, 99. They're throwing 93. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know? Oh, guys are throwing 92, 93 mile an hour change-ups? Come on. Yeah, no. Uh, th- the other day, uh, Zach Granke threw an 87 mile an hour fastball and an 88 mile an hour changeup. So, it's, <laughs> how, how yeah, what's, go- what's going on with that? Yeah, how how, how ridiculous is that? Now, yeah. um, you mentioned your time here in Baltimore. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about it. You know, you're you're in your 16 seasons as the Braves pitching coach. 12 times the team was uh, either first or second in ERA in the National League. Mm-hmm. One time they were third. Uh, Baltimore did not bear the same fruit. And you meant you mentioned Eric Bedard. Now look, I'm somebody who's followed this team since my earliest memory. I know that you weren't given the talent to have the same success that you had in Atlanta. You had Eric Bedard and a bunch of four A pitchers on your pitching staff right. in oh six and oh seven. When you took that job, now you you grew up in Western Maryland. You were uh-huh. you were best friends with Sam Perlazzo. So, did you take that job because Sam Perlaza was a manager and there was a chance to get back closer to yeah. where you grew up? Or did you think that there was some talent you could work with and potentially get the Orioles off out of their losing ways? Well, I, I thought they were going to give us time to, to, to get them out of their losing ways. Uh, you know, Sam, my, my, Sam's dad and my dad, they coached all these kids growing up, and, um, and they coached against each other. And I played more, actually, against Sam's brother than I did Sam because he was a little younger than me. But, yeah, I mean... What a small town up in Cumberland, Maryland, Western Fort, Maryland, and you have two two kids that grew up playing youth baseball there in the big leagues together in Baltimore. Oh, yeah, you know, I thought what a way to go out. You know, that would be great. But man, did I get a wake up call because of lack of talent. Number one, when they when they told me all the talent that was in spring training, I kept looking around for it and I couldn't find any. <laughs> you know, they said they had like twenty some pitchers that had big league opportunities, and I counted. And Sam said, "How many do we got?" I said, "I got six. You know, and I'll have 21. You know, I, I've never had heard of 20, had that many. You know, and then the other thing was the lack of leadership. Uh, there, there, there wasn't any. I mean, uh, uh, you know, when it, you had a chain of command that should never be broken from your owner to your general manager to your, to your president to your general manager to your field manager to your, to your coaching staff and players. And in, and, and, and in Atlanta, that, that chain of command was never broken. Nobody could go above somebody else to complain. Well, I, I got a, a, a you know a rude awakening there with the way the organization was run, and it was like night and day. You know, you had you know had, you had Ted Turner as the owner, and John Sherholtz from Maryland. There's another mm-hmm. connection. John Sherholtz was the GM, and and you know what? In other words, if somebody went to John Sherholtz and said, "I don't like the way so and so is doing this," he'd say, "Don't call, him, don't come to me and talk about it." Right. You know. You know. Instead, of everybody could you know, and 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 the um, and so. I got the experience, uh, uh, the greatest way to win, and then I got to see how why teams don't have success. It was sad because I thought for sure that Sammy would get more than a year and a half, and I told him we had building blocks around an ace in Bedard, <clears throat> you know, and at the time Adam Lowen had finally made his move, 
and uh, so you know you saw some hope there. Chris Ray was a closer that we liked a lot, and uh, but they he was Sam was what a year and a half to put yeah. it together. Yeah, and then you know you had players complaining about certain things that are kind of weak, you know, and uh, and and they could they, and they got somebody's ear. Yeah, it, and that's that seemed to be the case up until Andy McPhail came in and Buck Showalter yeah. came in and helped turn this franchise around. Oh, now, yeah, but, absolutely did. But and yeah, how about how about Jeremy Guthrie? Yeah, Jeremy Guthrie came out of See, nowhere. Cleveland didn't want Jeremy Guthrie, but we took him, and I and everybody well, he was he was you know he's he's oh yeah he's got a good arm. We don't know. I said, well, he's probably our second best pitcher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, behind Bedard and Jeremy. And then, uh, you know, they told me, uh, uh, what was it, McPhail come in and told me one time, he said, Leo, he said, I heard you have a, the, the veteran pitchers love, love you, but some of the younger pitchers, uh, you're kind of hard on them. And I said, well, let's see, let me show you something. So last day of that season, Jeremy Guthrie gave me a ball, and he said, without you, I would have never had any confidence to pitch in the big leagues. So I showed that ball to him. I said, I have trouble getting along with young guys? I don't think so, you know. And then you had Daniel Cabrera, Who's he disappeared? But you know, Daniel won nine and ten games for two years. He's just mm-hmm. learning how to pitch. So if you looked at Bedard and Jeremy and Daniel and give us time to add some pieces, I mean, but you can't do that in a year and a half. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And you know, if what what I can say about your time here in Baltimore is that you know it, it pretty much honestly helped pave the way back towards Orioles baseball when you look at it from the fact that you got the two best years out of Eric Bedard's career. You you helped turn that guy from a ton of talent into an ace on this staff, and that led to a to a trade that got the Orioles Adam Jones, got them that leadership, and got them back to that winning mentality. Without Eric Bedard, Adam Jones never comes to Baltimore, and mm-hmm. the Orioles maybe don't ever have that stretch from 2012 to 2016 right, where, they, where right. they have the most wins in the American League. So, if well, you, I, think, I think with Buck Showalter too, you, you know, prob, Buck probably uh, went in there knowing, hey, look, you know, I, I don't, I don't need anybody, you know, sticking their nose in where it don't belong. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh. Otherwise, Buck, I don't, I know Buck. He would, and Buck's a, he's a leader. He's a control guy, and there's nothing wrong with that. Let the manager have control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I you agree. Know, instead of somebody sticking their nose in where it don't belong. Uh, yeah, and and it all it goes back to the whole thing that we were talking about with starting pitching, where these these kids are coddled. You know, they 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 go out there and it's like, you know, throw as hard as you can for five innings, and then we'll we'll take over. No, you, you, these kids need to have that mentality that they're going to take their lumps, but it's going to help them get better overall. And the and going over a coach's head, over a manager's head, and talking to the general manager or to the owner when you have an issue instead of being a man and talking to the person that you have the problem with. It, Leo, it's been refreshing talking to you, man, because I feel like you and I have the same mentality when it comes towards, <laughs> towards baseball, and I, I, I love it because we're, we're, we're too far into the the analytics, and you have to throw 100 to be successful in the major leagues. You've, you proved mm-hmm. for 16 years with the, with the Atlanta Braves. You just look at Greg Maddox. That is not the case. Well, the, <clears throat> the thing is, too, is that, look, when you, when you approach pitching and thinking that uh, – uh, uh, superpower is going to have you make you successful. It's not correct. If you if you think that sneaky quick with location, if you go sneaky quick with location and changing speeds, then the bottom line is that you're going to stay healthier. You know, pitch, bullpens change drastically now from year to year because uh, you know because the, the, the setup guys are being abused. You know, and they really are. And 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 here's the thing too. I used to get our relievers together and I'd say, "Is anybody here that can't get three outs?" 
And they say, well, no, Leo, we can get three outs. I say, well, what, what, what difference does the inning make then? Right. And the other thing, the other thing that's funny is that you're, now, now that the game is saying a pitcher has to face three hitters, years ago, not, and it wasn't that long ago, I did everything in my power to have our setup guys develop a straight change. Why? <clears throat> because that negated lefty, lefty, righty, righty matchups. For example, we had Mike Remlinger. He was a left-hander. We had him for four years setting up for us, okay, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got him from Cincinnati. Well, he throws hard. Oh, good. He's got a good arm and a hard breaking ball. You know, okay, good. He came up with a straight change and was one of the best setup guys for four years in the National League. Why? Because we didn't care if they pitched hit a right-handed hitter in the eighth inning. There you go. Okay? We got this changeup. Greg McMichael was right-handed, and he had a great change. He developed a great changeup. Well, he threw 85 miles an hour with a great changeup, saved 18 games for us one year. Why? Because I told Mac, I said, you're right-handed, but you're our left-handed reliever because we can't wait for them to pitch in a left-hander if you're out on the mound. Mm-hmm. So well, those are types of examples of what you do with setup guys so that you don't have to do, go change 100 a pitcher, use 10 pitchers a game. Let the starters go a little longer and have your setup guys have some good change-ups and put some emphasis on something like that. And before you know it, you won't have to carry 14 and 15 pitchers or use 30 in a season. Hey, Leo, I want to get your thoughts on playoff teams using starters in the bullpen in the later innings. Sometimes they don't pitch for a few games, and they come in as these trusted guys, but don't always pitch so well in these bullpen roles. What are your thoughts on that? And did you ever let that happen with the Ra- uh, with the Braves? No, no. Didn't let it happen with the Braves. Didn't let it happen with the Orioles. I mean, this – this. Uh, we're going to have a bullpen day? Oh, really? You mean that's telling me you haven't got any good starters? Agreed. You know, we're going to have a bullpen day? Well, really? You know, you it used to be if you had too many bullpen days, you weren't winning very many games. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, and the bottom line is this: it can work once in a while, but over a full season, you're not going to have a bullpen left. Absolutely, we see it all the time. These bullpens are just yeah. completely. I mean, overworked. What, what, you know. You're not. You're not gonna. You have. You know. You're gonna have no, no bullpen left. And 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 before you know it, you know. I mean, I don't know. However, they're thinking on that's beyond me. But uh, I can see where maybe every once in a while, uh, you know, you could pull that off like Tampa does every once in a while. You know. But you try to do that over the long haul, and you're you're everybody. You ain't gonna have nobody left. You know. And. You know, the manager says, well, we could run out eight guys and throw over 90-some miles an hour. I'm rooting for Dusty Baker. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> well, you know what? You, you mentioned the Rays. And, yeah, the Rays were the ones who really got the opener idea started in Major League Baseball. But that's because all their best starters were not at the Major League roster yet or just getting their feet wet. Now you look at the Rays on the cusp of the World Series, and why are they on the cusp of the World Series? Because they have Tyler Glass now and Blake yeah. and, and Snell and Charlie Morton in their starting rotation. They have three right. legitimate starting pitchers, and that's what it hey, takes to get it, to the World here's Series. Here's the thing. Snell should have showed up. I expected Snell to show up last night, and he didn't. Yeah. You know, I thought, well, he's going to show up and clinch this thing for him, but he didn't show up because – now they're not. Now they're not used to going. Okay, well I'm the guy now. It's on me. You know when you want him to do that. And here's here's what you do. If you're developing a, a, a pitching organization, you take your top arms in A ball, Double A, AA, and Triple A, and you start them on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And then in Triple A, like we had a guy named uh, like Kent Merker and Mike Stanton. Okay, two lefty young lefties. They were starters, Steve Bedrosian. They were starters throughout their careers. But then, like, 
you'd look at the strength of your major league club, and then you'd find out from your AAA manager and pitching coach which one of those top arms that have been starting do you think could convert into a, a relief pitcher and see how he rebounds. Because if you're being developed as a reliever in the minors, you never know really know what kind of pitches you got. All you know is that you can just throw hard. Mm-hmm. You know, So you learn how to pitch and then can make your conversion from from starter to reliever or vibe, you know, and, and, and go from there. I mean, it's not that difficult. It really isn't. Yeah, let's not let's not try and reinvent the wheel here. Now, Leo, before we let you go, the Orioles have a ton of pitching talent in their organization, and they they haven't have an opening at pitching coach. What if the Orioles came calling? Could they sway you out of retirement? <laughs> I would do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I'll, I'll I'll let whoever needs to know know that you said that, and let's see if we can't get something done. Leo, it would, it would you know what it would be it would be wonderful. And uh, tell him I'd mellow out my approach a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think your approach is tops, man. I, 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 I am right there with you, man. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Leo. Thank you Anytime. so much for joining the show. Yeah. All right, man. again sometime. Enjoy the rest of the NLCS. We'll, hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Take care. That was former Braves and Orioles pitching coach Leo Mazzoni, who said that he would do it in a heartbeat if the Orioles came calling to fill that pitching coach role. Well, let him know. Yeah, well, well I, I we got to talk to somebody. I, we got to talk to somebody because I, I have been screaming from the rooftops, the mountaintops, that you are only as good as your starting pitching. I hate the idea of the opener. I hate the idea of a five-inning start. I don't want to hear, oh, well, he's at 100 pitches. If he's dominating, keep him in the game. We saw we saw John Means fall victim to that so many times over the last two years. If you're at 100 pitches in the fifth inning, but you've given up three hits and one run, you're the best option right now. Let him go until he can't get anybody out. Too much emphasis on the pitch count, and I agree. So many dudes are so concerned with throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour. You're all going to need Tommy John surgery at some point if you keep throwing like that. Really refreshing for me anyway, and you also get a little bit of a glimpse into my thoughts on baseball. Uh, Really refreshing to talk to a guy like Leo Mazzoni who just came in and just told it how it is. Uh, got to get a break. When we come back, we're going to go around the... Around the playoffs, in the payoff pitch around the league. Then we're going to talk about some Orioles performances on birthdays. But before that, do you need your fantasies fulfilled? Or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled? PressBox's own Ken Zalas is the number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country. And he joins Glenn and Kyle every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the PressBox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio or watch the show and get your own fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Going to get a quick break, and then we'll come back with some Orioles banter. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is available now. Our fall seasonal menu is available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new chicken schnitzel or the delicious Prussian pretzel rolls. Glory Days is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. 
with competitive pricing and an AM Best A- financial strength rating. It's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. If you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them. With Pressbox's Project Game Day, I'm Glenn Clark, and I'm with you at halftime of every game. And then I'm joined post-game by a panel of experts, including Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and post-game also at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is just the ref's fault all season long that's press boxes project game day every game day this season brought to you by wise markets and the u.s army if you're looking to make an impact there's no better place to do that than the u.s army whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases develop technologies or seek adventures across the globe the army is where all of that can happen and so much more the army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win ask yourself What's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farm sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. Good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Let's champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. All right, we are back live here on the Bat Around from Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. And we've all been dealing with, with COVID-19 since since February, since March. Uh, we've had to wear masks everywhere we go. And since Mar- since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks to celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter that you see the lovely Zach Goodman modeling for us right now, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. Now, these masks are going to make everybody around you more comfortable. They're going to keep you in tune with the protocols, but they are decorative. They're not CDC-approved. 
However, they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks to get yours now. Zach, we can let you breathe. You can take that thing off now. Uh, we're going to do the payoff pitch around the league. The top four hitters in the Astros lineup combined to go 8-for-16 with five RBIs, and Frambert Valdez struck out nine over six innings of one-run balls. The Astros defeated the Rays 7-4 to erase a 3-0 series deficit and force a Game 7 in the ALCS. Corey Seager hit two more home runs and drove in three to bring his LCS tallies to four homers and ten RBIs. And the vaunted Braves bullpen imploded again, allowing all seven runs as the Dodgers held on to their World Series hopes with a 73-2-3 win, win to inch closer to the seri- in the series as they now, tra- now trail three games to one, apparently that game update was a tongue twister for me. And now Zach's going to give us a little bit of primer for the next two games and for the World Series. All right, finally, Saturday baseball is back. I've been missing Saturday baseball for sure. And today at 4.30 p.m., we have the Braves and the Dodgers. And at 8.30 p.m., we have the Astros and the Rays. So we'll get to see who decides that Astros-Rays series. That'll be a really fun Game 7 tonight. And then Game 6, obviously, of the Dodgers and the Braves. And uh, those should be a lot of fun. And then, of course, the World Series starts on Tuesday, October 20th. The time is still to be determined on that one. But Game 1, Tuesday, October 20th. There you go. You, you, um, you have Lance McCullers going against uh, Charlie Morton in the uh, ALCS Game 7 tonight. Uh, and this afternoon, it's going to be Max Fried of the Atlanta Braves against Walker Bueller of the Los Angeles Dodgers. The two young aces of those two staffs battling it out for the second time of the series. Braves trying to win game f- their fourth game and make it to their first World Series since 1999. Dodgers lo- looking to stave off elimination yet again and get to another World Series and try to win their first since 1988. The Orioles had a Hall of Famer of their own uh, celebrate a birthday the other day on Thursday the 15th. Jim Palmer, Cakes as he is affectionately known around Baltimore and to his teammates, celebrate his 75th birthday. His entire career, Palmer never pitched on his birthday despite being on eight postseason rosters and making 17 postseason pitching appearances. I thought it would be cool to see how he did on his birthday, and I was shocked to see that he never pitched on his birthday. However, he did make... Five starts on either the day before or the day after his birthday. Three times on the 14th, twice on the 16th of October. In those five starts, he went 1-2 and two with a 4.22 ERA, allowing 15 runs in 32 innings pitched. So a far cry from his uh, 2.8 career ERA. I think it was 2.86 career ERA uh, in Baltimore. Still pitched in the, well enough to have been the Orioles staff ace this year in those five starts. And that got me thinking about other noteworthy performances uh, on birthdays from some Orioles greats. Uh, we didn't have the time to go through and check every Orioles player that ever lived that could have played on their birthday. Um, so I just came, I just thought of some Hall of Famers and some you know, noteworthy players that came through the franchise. Um, I found seven of them that had their birthdays during the season. The first one that came to mind was Cal Ripken, August 24th, 1960. In his career, on his birthday, 17 for 84. That's a 202 batting average, four doubles, one home run, eight RBI, seven walks. So Cal, not, not very celebratory on the field 
on his birthday hitting just 202 for his career. Zach, what do you got for me? All right, so I'm going to start it off with Boog Powell, a legendary Orioles first baseman. And he, on his birthday, which was August 17th, he went 15 for 42. That is a 357 average. He had two home runs. He had 12 RBIs, and he scored nine runs on his birthday. So pretty good showing from a guy who obviously hit a lot. You know, he's one of the greatest hitters of all time in Orioles history, over 300 home runs. Just a absolute masher in the middle of the lineup in the 60s and 70s. So Boog Powell, 357 average, real good on his birthday. And Frank Robinson, August 31st, 1935, 25 for 62 on his birthday. That's a 403 average, two doubles, two home runs, seven RBIs, eight walks in his entire career on his birthday. As an Oriole, Frank Robinson was 12 for 23. That's a 522 batting average with a double, a home run, five RBIs, and four walks as an Oriole. So the guy who taught the Orioles how to win came over and won a triple crown known for ton of home runs, ton of RBIs being the heart and soul of that team during his six to seven years here. We had a high batting average on his birthday, but the power and the RBIs were down, which I was surprised to see. Who's your next guy? All right, the greatest third baseman of all time, Brooks Robinson. Going to move over on to him. He was May 18th. So, Brooks, 20 for 46. That goes out to a 435 average. He had a hit on every game on his birthday, which is just absolutely incredible. He had multiple hits in many of them. He hit one home run, five RBIs, and six runs scored over that span. So, Brooks Robinson, obviously, we know, swung the bat very well over his career. Not for so much power, but, you know, really could hit for average. And he put up a 435 average, which is absolutely incredible incredible and you know he showed up in a lot of big moments his birthday probably a really great day for him to hit so 435 for him next guy Rafael Palmero and I've always been a huge Rafael Palmero fan uh, I think that he got a raw deal if he was using steroids and that that Miguel Tejada was I mean he lied about his on his birth certificate um was older than he ever said he was during his playing career uh, just he was on steroids as well. I don't know that Palmero didn't use steroids. I don't know if it was really a tainted B12 shot that he got from uh, from Tejada. He was mentioned in Juiced by Jose Canseco. But I loved Rafael Palmero, and everybody in his era was using steroids, and he stood out above the rest as it was. He had that sweet swing at Ole Miss, and then he comes into the majors and has a, continues to have that sweet swing and had the natural progressions of somebody who turned into a power hitter at the major league level. Started off hitting for high average and a ton of doubles, and that translated into more power. Thought the Palmero got a raw deal. That's not the point of this segment. On his birthday, which was um, September 24th, 1962, so another September baby like yours truly, uh, Another guy who did not like playing on his birthday, 11 for 56. That's a 196 batting average, just two doubles, one triple, surprisingly, three home runs, 10 RBIs, and six walks. As an Oreo, a little bit better, four for 17, 235 average, two doubles, one home run, four RBIs, and two walks on his birthday. So, man, it seems like you got the guys that, like, really hit well on their birthdays, and I got the guys who, aside from Frank, who just kind of really struggled. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right on that one, because next up, I have Mark Belanger, obviously the classic defensive-minded shortstop. Didn't really hit, but he did hit on his birthday. 11 for 24. He was born June 8th. 11 for 24, 458 batting average. Didn't hit a home run, because he only hit 20 in his whole career. 
but three RBIs, three runs scored on his birthday. For a guy who really doesn't swing the bat much, only at a 228 lifetime average, and he hit 458 over this span. So for a guy, like I said, very defensive-minded to do this is kind of shocking. And that these stats are actually very fascinating to me just to see how they perform on certain days of the year. And Mark Belanger really performed well. I got to tell you, man, I'm big on birthdays. I... I, I I love birthdays. It's like your day. It's your one day of the year that's all about you. And that's, that sounds vain, but it's like you get one day out of the year where you get to be celebrated. I feel like I'm one of those guys who would have performed well on my birthday because I love birthdays. Next guy, I think he likes birthdays a little bit too, and that's Manny Machado, my favorite player in the game right now. In his career, 9 for 33, a 273 batting average, one double, one home run, one RBI, three walks on his birthday. However, as an Oriole, 9 for 29, which is a 310 batting average, and that double, that home run, that RBI, and all three walks came in an Orioles uniform. Like Brooks Robinson, in his career as an Oriole, he never failed to register at least one hit on his birthday. He's also the only one of these seven players that we mentioned to have six at-bats in a game on his birthday, and he accomplished that feat twice. Accomplished that feat twice. That's uh, pretty pretty remarkable that no other player that we looked up had more than five at-bats in the game, and Manny had six twice on his birthday. A uh, little note about Brooks Robinson. He had seven multi-hit games in 12 contests played on his birthday, so I, I think Brooks and I are a lot alike. You know, a, a lot of like, I think that he likes playing on his birthday also. So, very cool to see some of those stats. Very interesting to see some of those stats. Zach, do you have, when's your birthday? My birthday is May 4th, so during the baseball season. But do you have any memorable sporting events or sporting happenings that happened on your birthday? I know I've played games on my birthday before, but I can't remember if I did anything spectacular. Probably not. But <laughs> well, what about what about professional sports? Did anything remarkable happen in professional sports on your birthday that you remember? I mean, I've gone to quite a, a few Orioles games on my birthday on or around Mother's Day. So, um, you know, during those Mother's Day games, it, they're always fun because they use the pink bats, all the pink stuff. So, um, you know, I usually go somewhere around May 4th, May 8th, somewhere in that in that area. But on my birthday specifically, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, I, I, I watched a lot of Adam Jones, Manny Machado, the heyday of the Orioles back in you know 2010 2016 around that era so you know a lot of good stuff happened i almost went every year around my birthday then yeah my birthday september 13th it, it um so it falls during baseball season and during football season the, the ravens have opened on my birthday uh actually two of the last three years uh they lost to cincinnati three uh, in 2018 uh, they they beat Cleveland on my birthday this year to open the season 38 to six. So that was pretty cool. I went to um, I've been to a number of, of Orioles games on my birthday, but I went to three of the four games against the Yankees over my birthday weekend in uh, 2014. The first of which it was um, actually no, I'm sorry, I went to two of the four. The first game was the second game of a doubleheader that the Orioles swept in that series. They lost on my actual birthday while I was in attendance, and it was a rainy Saturday. Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry, it was a rainy Sunday, but all of my buddies were with me. It was a great time, and we all got into a heated argument with a Yankees fan about why Cal Ripken was a better shortstop than Derek Jeter. He was and always will be. It's not even close. It's not close. Well, it's not close. Jeter had all those hits, but R Ripken, he changed the game. He changed the position. Still holds the record for most home runs as, as a shortstop. Over 3,000 hits, two gold gloves, two MVP awards, an all-star MVP 
Jeter won five world championships because of the he was a great player, a great captain. That's why he was the captain of that team. But he was surrounded with nothing but Hall of Fame and all-star players his entire career. And, and very clutch in the playoffs. That's what Jeter really made his name. It's just in the playoffs. Mr. November, obviously. He's an incredible player, and he always showed up. But, you know, Kyle Ripken, I'm taking him all day. All right, and the latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more, helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles in their rebuild. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. And this is the new edition, remembering one tough team, an incredible 2000 playoff run, and they win on the Super Bowl with Brian Billick on the cover. Great issue. Go pick it up now. All right, thank you, Zach. Lovely job doing that live read for us here. And on the line with us right now, the incomparable and much beloved Jeremy Kahn. Jeremy, how are you today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're, we're always thrilled to have you. Always a, a treat for us to get you on the program. Um, we haven't talked to you since the Orioles season ended. What were your thoughts on the Orioles season uh, as a whole this year? Uh, I mean, look, a lot of peaks and valleys, right? I mean, they'd get hot, and then you go, okay, who is this team? And then they'd suck again, and you're like, okay, this is kind of where I thought it would be. But um, I, I, I saw a lot of individual growth and in some pieces that I'm happy about moving forward uh, it looked like Santander started to figure some things out um, and, and the young pitching like I really enjoyed and I don't care about the wins and losses but I really enjoyed watching Dean Kramer work and Keegan Aiken and then even seeing some of the adjustments they would make the second time around when they would face the team again um, you know I, I thought there were some pretty cool aspects of that but uh, you know, look it was fun it was baseball I, I love baseball season um, and I, I think baseball whether it's good or bad you know, as far as wins and losses go, it, it, it's always enjoyable to watch. Um, but I can't wait for this team to be competitive again and have these meaningful games. Like you know, watching last night was incredible, but you know, having these meaningful games in September and into October. Yeah, man, I was watching. Um, they they played during one of the games. They played um, on a commercial a clip of I want to say it was Mag- was it Maglio Ordonez for the uh, for the Tigers. Or the White Sox at that point. I think it was. For, I think it was when he was playing with the Tigers when he hit that walk-off home run to send the Tigers to the World Series, and it made me think about that Delman Young double, and that just helped the, the Orioles win Game Two of the of the fourteen division series. And I started thinking what it must feel like to be a fan in that stadium when your team hits a walk-off home run to send them into the World Series. I cannot wait to feel something like that. I'm, I'm sure, like you just said, you can't wait for something like that also. Yeah, I mean, I was talking about this the other night on my show that the only team that I grew up rooting for that I currently root for are the Orioles. I mean, they've been in my life the entire time, and, you know, when I was four years old, they won the World Series the last time. So I don't recall it. I don't remember it. Um, I know it happened, but, like, I want to experience that. And, you know, I'm a huge NBA fan. There's no NBA team here. You can sit here and talk about bullets slash wizards if that's what you're, you know, what floats your boat. And the same thing with the Ravens coming to town in the '90s. Like I wasn't. To me, they felt like the Browns. Yep. But but, Orioles are my only team, and I want to. I desperately want to see them win a World Series. I mean, more than 
and rooted for. Um, I, I can't wait for that to happen, and hopefully, you know, we're on that right path right now. And you know, I started looking at some of the free agents, and even though I don't expect the Orioles to be active in free agency, you know, for some of the big names this year, um, but there are some intriguing names out there, and uh, maybe it's another year that we're away from getting to that point where we start spending some serious money. Hey, Jeremy, it's Zach Goodman. Uh, and how you just okay. talked about it before, but how far do you think the Orioles are away from competing? And do you think there's a realistic shot they could even try to compete in 2021 or at least, you know, not really sign anyone big, but at least try to compete and try to win as many games as possible? So I think the hard part is I, I still think it's 2022, even though they won't come out and say that because, um, you know, if we look at the division, the Red Sox are going to bounce back. They'll spend money. They'll be fine. Maybe it's not next year. Maybe it's the year after. But there were three teams, granted in the expanded playoffs, that made um, you know that made it in. Uh, when we talk about Toronto and all that young talent they had, and they're going to continue to get Tampa Bay. They've been one game away from the World Series for uh, three games now, but uh, still, you know, an opportunity there. And the Yankees are always loaded. So I think the hard part is you want to do it right and not try to rush this. And that's why you know when we got in that conversation at the beginning of this year, like. Are you going to, like, are you rooting for them to lose? It's like, no, I don't root for the Orioles to lose. I just kind of accept what happens and expect that to happen, you know, like uh, more times than not. But I just still think that 2022 would be the year. It wouldn't shock me if, like, you know, George Springer's coming up, uh, the ties with Mike Elias, would that be something that he would kick the tires on? I would love a player like that, you know. But, again, am I thinking that's going to happen? No. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of things to look at, but I just still think, there are a couple pieces away, and the pitching is still very young. I mean, this is the first opportunity to get to see some of those guys. I liked how John Means finished the year. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, with some of the other young pitchers, it's going to take time because I definitely know, you know, for as good as Dean Kramer was, he, hit, he, he gets a lot of strikeouts, but he still has a lot of hard contact and got to start to eliminate some of that stuff. And Keegan Aiken's kind of the same way. But, again, it, it's all about development and getting knocked around a little bit and making your adjustments from there. Well, and I think that, that a more realistic option for the Orioles in free agency, if they want to kind of bolster that lineup and create a stopgap, especially in the middle infield, would be Scooter Jeanette. And I've been tooting that horn for about a month now. Uh, that's a guy who had, you know, 25, 26 homers and hit right around 300 back-to-back years in 2017 and 2018 before being injured in 2019 and then not playing at all in 2020. Um I, I think a free agent signing like that would be would go a long way for the Orioles. However, right now the Orioles are, are in the midst of laying off two coaches and 50 other personnel, uh, 50 other employees from their franchise. There's been talk from John Mioli that this is a sign that the Orioles might not pick up uh, Jose Iglesias' $3.5 million option. The way that the Orioles are doing their layoffs and the way that they're working their finances right now what are you seeing from that? How do you feel about all those layoffs, and does that impact the way that they go about free agency and retaining their own players? Well, it just makes you wonder if it's just cost-cutting procedures uh, to help them out in the long run because, you know, this season wasn't as profitable as I know a lot of people, you know, in baseball would have liked. Uh, they wanted fans in the stands. They wanted, you know, all those things to happen, concessions and making money off of that. But, alas, we didn't have that. They're going to make – Major League Baseball make a billion dollars off the postseason – but, yeah, I, I understand what's going on there. I'm not a big fan of it. But, again, you know, I'll go back to – I'll keep saying it because the Orioles, they're not going to come out and tell you, like, hey, we're not ready to win yet. But that's this is still all part of the plan. I don't think winning all the games that happened this year, although it was a pleasant surprise for fans, I don't think that's what the front office was necessarily looking for. But, hey, I mean, you just got to adapt to it. 
So I don't know that the two are going to coincide. But, yeah, I don't – like when they traded away Jonathan VR I, or, you know, let him – and they let some other players go, you're like, well, why didn't they sign this guy? Isn't free agent? He'd be a good fit. I, I don't care about any of it until they're ready to start competing. I want them to go through their process. They're going to lose games. It's going to happen. It's a rebuild, and that's what I was telling people. It's like when you when you wish for the rebuild, just be weary of it because it's going to take a while to get back to where you need to be. The hope is that you get there and you're able to stay and be competitive for the long haul um, and have the right pieces be a part of that you know that transition. Well, I think that what Orioles fans see is this was a team that was in the playoff picture until the last five games of the year. And they see a team, they got a little bit of a taste of what it was like to root for a competitive baseball team again for the first time really since the first month or two of the 2017 season. And so that's why you want to see them keep a guy like Jose Iglesias to bridge the gap. Because if we're rebuilding, why can't we still be competitive while we rebuild? And that's why you would want to see a Scooter Jeanette come in. But, Jeremy, to your point, it does seem like it would be better for the franchise if, you know, you don't need to win until you need to win. You know what I mean? So so yeah. it's better for the rebuild if, okay, maybe they're not as competitive next year just so they can well, be that much more competitive in 2022. Yeah, and that's kind of where I get, like, it's, it is. It's such a catch-22 with, you know, I'm not vehemently rooting against my team. Do I want them to be bad? No, it's like the, the same thing that, you know, Scott and I used to always get into it when we were on the air. Like, what's the right process to take? Because Mark Cuban of the Mavericks stepped up and said, we didn't purposely go out and try to lose games, but we didn't put the best team out on the floor. And then he got fined for it because he was being honest. Mm-hmm. So many teams do this, whether it's the September call-ups where they're like, hey, we want to take a look at your young players. And that may be true, but they also don't want to win a ton of games in September and ruin their draft position. Um, and, you know, the higher that the Orioles are picking, the better off that they're going to be in the long run. So, yeah, I, I think that's, that's kind of paramount when we talk about what they need to do, um, you know, as far as, I don't want to say losing games on purpose, but, you know, like if they're not signing guys in free agency, then I don't think it's the end of the world. Or even if they're letting, like, let's be honest, uh, Jose Iglesias is a, he's a good player. He's an okay player. You watched him. He was more of a glove than a bat. I think he fits in here. He gets everyday opportunities. He's hitting in the middle of the lineup, but he's just another guy. And I'm not trying to knock him. You know, if you look at his career, that's what happened in Cincinnati and Detroit. He was a guy that was typically batting seventh or eighth and very good glove. Bat was okay. Um, the more times a guy gets to go out there, he's going to have opportunities at RBIs, and maybe they, you know, batting at the top of the order or in the middle of the order gives him opportunities um, more so than he would get on other teams and the confidence of knowing that he's going to be in the lineup pretty much every day. So I'm not saying these guys are bad players. I'm just saying they're probably not a part of your future um, when, it, when it comes to competing eventually. Well, and, and, and the regard to what you said about the team being, you know, being competitive but still looking to get that high draft pick. That's where this season was so wildly successful is that the Orioles, they won 25 games in a 60-game season. They were competitive the basically all year long, and yet they still ended up having a top-five draft pick and really helping. And, and, the, and they got a ton of rookies that got the Major League exposure and showed it, albeit yeah. in a small sample size, that they can play at the Major League level. Yeah, this, this was definitely, you know, for a 60-game set, and we didn't know how it was going to go, and we saw, um, you know, the example of the Marlins getting hot and winning some games and making it to the playoffs, winning a playoff series that kind of surprised everyone. Uh, and then, you know, some of the other teams that maybe we didn't think were that great that um, were in the playoff picture towards the end of the year. I know the Giants were in it, uh, you know, midway through September, which sounds crazy because, you know, I think most baseball fans can't name three players on that team now. 
Right. Hell, they probably can't name two or one. So, I mean, you know, Buster Posey was out for the entire year. Maybe you know Yastrzemski's over there and he's having a nice season. But, you know what I mean? Like, in a shortened season, I guess anything is possible. Um, so having them get competitive, and you're right, having those guys get in and get important at-bats or even starts for that matter, I think was huge for them uh, this season. And, and again, like, they're not just getting starts in September – it was getting starts against teams that were in the playoff picture. So I, mm-hmm. I think that was great. I mean, Dean Kramer's first two starts came against the Yankees. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that was really cool. And then he performed great in both of those uh, opportunities. Well, yeah, and, and uh, Keegan Aiken, all of his starts were against either the Yankees, Rays, or um, or Blue Jays, all playoff teams. Maybe not the Rays. I believe he pitched against the Braves. And that's what it was, the Braves. But all playoff teams, mm-hmm. uh, and that's, th- that's like – taking opportunity right there, having an opportunity to pitch against some of the best teams in baseball as a rookie. It, it doesn't get better, especially when you look at what, what the Orioles are looking at going into next year. Yeah, and, you know, I guess the, the, the problem for me, and I say this all the time, is that I don't consider myself an optimist, pessimist. I consider myself a realist, and I want to look at things. Um, I want it to be fixed. I want it to be right. And I hated the fact that we traded Manny Machado for five players, and we'll see – what some too. of these guys become. Dean Kramer's kind of the first guy we're getting a taste for, right? Like, getting a chance to see at this level, whereas Diaz was the, the prime prospect in that in that group. And it's kind of funny, as we look at Walker Bueller now and Gavin Lux and some of the other names that were mentioned, and they didn't trade him, you kind of see why they didn't want to move any of those guys. Um, and then on top of it, you know, you start looking at uh, how the Orioles are going to draft and how they're going to develop, because I can't wait for Adley Rutschman to come up. And if they keep drafting well, and I'm hearing great things about a Gunner and, and a handful of the other guys that, that they're developing, I, I think one of the big problems for the O's was just the development. Because we saw guys leave the Orioles and go off and have set, uh, success. Not the same way the Pirates did, where it's like, oh, this Glassnow kid and Meadows kid isn't working. Let's trade him for Archer. Let's get rid of Garrett Cole. Let's, you know, they're trading pieces away, and it's like Starling Marte's gone. And, and I mean, they traded everybody away, and now it's just the, the dregs, and they're trying to figure out what their farm system's going to look like. The Orioles have to develop these guys because I don't know how many pitchers, and granted some of it was going to the National League, uh, National League left and actually had some minor to you know pretty good success at this level. And, I mean, we could point at Jake Arrieta winning a Cy Young, even though he kind of fell off after that. But, but still, you know, like they need to develop these guys and be able to keep them in-house. So I want to slide back real quick to the Orioles laying off the 50 people and then, of course, Pedro Flores and Doug Brocale. Do you look at it as a situation where the Orioles will promote from within? Uh, you know, a guy like Chris Holt could obviously be a candidate for that pitching coach. And what kind of profile do you see the Orioles targeting for this third base and pitching coach opening positions? See, this is the hard part because I, I don't know, like, you know, when it comes to them and this, this coaching search, because I've always said, and I hate saying this, but it's, it's been shown true to form unless they, they all of a sudden get crazy good unexpectedly, that Brandon Hyde was going to be the guy before the guy. You know, like, they bring in this young guy, analytically driven, and I, I really like Brandon Hyde, but I always felt like he was going to be the guy, and then once the team got where they needed, they would get the, the, the more established coach or whoever they wanted to go get uh, to be a part of it. And the, I guess the same thing kind of applies when they're looking at their pitching coach, third base coach, any of the guys that they want to be surrounded by that, that they feel like they can bring pretty much whoever they want in. Outside, I, I think the pitching coach is a lot more important than sitting there talking about you know the third base coach and all the little things that go on in the game because – I don't know how much you guys are paying attention to other teams, but I start to see more and more former players getting those opportunities to be first-base yeah. coaches and third-base coaches, including I think I just saw Delino DeShields out there um, uh, at first base for a team and then you know a couple other former players that are 
taking over that role. Um, Will Venable was another one I saw where, you know, these are former players that are getting opportunities to coach. They understand the game. I'm not saying it's not difficult to be a third or first base coach, but, you know, with a pitching coach, to me that comes a philosophy. So maybe maybe they didn't like Brokale. Maybe they, I don't know. I mean, maybe they move on from that and, and find somebody else that Mike Elias thinks is more analytically driven. Um, that was a problem in the past with the Orioles. Remember when Rick Peterson was here, I mean, he butted heads with all the pitchers, Britton, Mattis, uh, Arietta, they all hated him. So, um, you know, there's a, a little nugget for you is those guys couldn't stand him because of his ways and, uh, and how he tried to change every single one of them. Yeah, and, you know, we just got off the phone with former Braves and Orioles pitching coach Leo Mazzoni, and I asked him if the Orioles came calling, would he come out of retirement? He said, in a heartbeat. So, wow. yeah. Um, now, Jeremy, we want to talk to you a little bit now about what's going on in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. And the Astros were down 3-0, and now they're on the verge of being just the second team to come back from a 3-0 series deficit to, to win a series. Is it bad for baseball for the Astros to make it back to the World Series? They have this victim mentality, this us-against-the-world mentality. What are they going to say now? Well, we're going to say that you cheated, and if you're this good, why did you need to cheat? Uh, is it bad for baseball to see them, especially when you consider the players never got punished for their, their part in that whole scandal? I think it's bad for baseball if they win the whole thing. I think it's really good for baseball if they get there and they lose. Um, because it gives it gives fans someone to root against. Yeah. And the hard part about it is, so then, let's say the Dodgers come back and win, which I, I've been saying I think they have an excellent shot to. I, I thought they'd win the Kershaw start, and then we would be here where they're up 3-2 instead of down 3-2. But they're going to be favored in every game in this series. Um, but getting back to it, like you'd have the Dodgers get there who spend more money than anyone else and people would be rooting for them to beat the Astros, who yeah. were known cheaters, you know, <laughs> if, if it comes down to that. But I think it's very easy to root for the Braves. Uh, it's easy to root for the Rays for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, like, it is funny to me, and I hate the fact that they're trying to use this, uh, you know, us against the world. It's the same thing the Titans were doing when they were screaming after the game, that everybody's against us. Yeah, you idiots, you guys were doing illegal crap after being busted. You know, you had the coronavirus, and now you're out practicing. The, the the Astros, and I said it a long time ago, they were going to come out and say, hey, look, we're sorry. And then they'll say, we're sorry again. And then they'll say it again, and then they'll be like, how many times do you want us to say we're sorry? We already said it, and that's what happened with Correa. Correa was kind of like the voice of the team coming out, and I'm like, you know what, I like this guy speaking up. And all of a sudden he's like, we already said we're sorry. What do you want us to do? We're trying to play baseball. And then they, they, they use this as a rallying cry to, to kind of, uh, you know, boost their – uh, their adrenaline and say everybody's against us, and I can't stand it, man. I I look at that team, and there are a couple of players that I've always liked and always kind of rooted for, and it does make it hard. Um, but I, I don't think it's bad for baseball if they get there because it does give everybody outside of Houston somebody to root against. Um, the one thing I will say, and it really pisses me off, is the media members. Like, I follow, because uh, all sports, I follow guys that cover the Rockets, guys that cover the Texans. And they're obviously Astros fans from being in town, and it makes it easier to root for that team. Just seeing what the everybody keeps talking about us cheating and trash cans. Yeah, because you did. Like, right? It was, and they they didn't. Nobody got punished except for anybody that was part of the coaching staff and the general manager. And here's the funny thing: when you look around baseball, um, you know the White Sox fire Renneria, and then there were rumors that Tony La Russa may come out of retirement and manage that team if they're interested. But the other rumor was that they're interested in AJ Hinch and Alex Cora when their suspensions are up. So these guys are going to be right back in it getting jobs because, you know, they had, both of them won World Series and they have success. So 
it's just there's no punishment. The players getting off scot free drives me nuts. Like they were innocent. Like they were being told to do this. They're grown ass men, and mm-hmm. I still hate. I hate and it, it despise all the people that take shots at Mike Fires calling him a rat. It's like what is he supposed to do when he goes to a new team? It's so naive to think that you're going to cheat like that in free agency nowadays and players switching teams all the time that word's not going to get out. And you're mad at him because he's the first one that spoke up about it because he went to the A's and he was going to face that team and he told all the younger players, watch, they're doing this stuff. I don't know. I like. I don't think it's bad for baseball if they get there. I think it's terrible if they win. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I used to be a big Jose Altuve fan. Yeah. Big, you know, and, and Carlos Correa and Brayton. How could you not be all the talent that they have? And now I can't stand them. I can't stand yep. any of those players. George Springer is really the only guy I still like because he hasn't really said much. You know, it, it, it was it was Altuve and Bregman that came out and looked like they were just reading off a prompter when they apologized at the beginning of spring training. And it was Correa coming out and looking the most remorseful and then, and then firing back and saying, we've already apologized. They just soured me on on them, and I don't care what they do the rest of their career right now, for the rest of their careers, because it's going to always be tainted, and it's always yeah, going to be that thought in the back of your mind where it, now they're playing really well, they're hitting 40, 50 points higher than they did in the regular season. Are they finding a way to cheat again that we don't know about? Right, people keep bringing that up too. The one thing I want to say about Springer is, and, and I've always liked him, love his game, style of play. Um, that you know, he didn't speak up, and maybe that's uh, you know why a lot of people aren't attacking him as much as they attack the other guys but the one thing about Springer is he does have a stuttering problem which he's gotten better at mm-hmm. so I'm wondering as far as you know he'll talk after games and if you listen to it he still stammers a little bit but it, I mean it's it's pretty cool to see how much better he's got at public speaking especially being in the eye now but maybe it's something where they didn't want him up there and put on the spot um, and they they went to some other voices of the team and he, he maybe he bowed out of it I don't know I'm not I'm not speaking from ex- you know experience here, but I do know his history. And if you've ever listened to him on a post game, mm-hmm. he still has some of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's such a likable guy. And the same thing he said about Altuve. Like we would look at him, like, look, you don't have to be big in baseball to be successful. Love what he's doing out there. He's great. Even watching the first couple games when he had the yips, I mean, I was cheering when he was throwing the ball away oh, or when yeah. he was bobbling it. You know, like I, I, I want them to lose so bad. So, um, but if they win this game today and move on to the World Series, I don't care if it's the the big juggernaut, the Dodgers or the Braves, I know who I'll be rooting for. Oh, absolutely. And if they win this game, that means that the Rays become the second team to blow a 3-0 series lead. I mentioned earlier when I was talking to Stan um, that the Yankees blew that 3-0 series lead, and then they've only been in one World Series since then. It took them five years to get back there after appearing in seven of the previous nine World Series. What do you think blowing a series lead like that could do to the psyche of a franchise like the Rays? Uh, you know, I wonder, um, well, the hard part with the Rays is that, you know, they're going to sit there and uh, keep moving pieces, reloading, trading mm-hmm. their stars for other young prospects. So I don't know I don't know if it will have as great of an effect on a team like that that, um, you know, from their front office standpoint, they work that way of moving guys here or there. Like, do we know if Blake Snell is going to be there for the long haul? Or are they going to pay these guys? Are they going to have them for a couple years and then trade them? You know, there's, there's a lot of different things that, that could go um, – the one thing I go back to that, that talking about the psyche is how does Kevin Cash's mind work going into Game Seven? Because I think he clearly pulled Blake Snell way too early yesterday, um, and the effects that that's having now. So that, it does worry me with his thought process coming into the game. But I mean, maybe there's something to that that blowing that lead that you're always going to think about it. But I mean, we all thought it was a foregone conclusion. We were laughing, loving it. 
they're up 3-0. They'll eventually uh, close this thing out. And sure enough, two one-run losses, and in last night's game, just brutal. Oh, yeah, yeah, and now it's that game seven, and the Astros have all the momentum in the world right now, so we'll yep. we'll see how that goes. Jeremy, we got to get a break and get out of here, so thank you so much for joining the program. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Anytime. Hi, right, man. Have a good weekend. All right, I'll see you. And that was Jeremy Kahn of 105.7 The Fan being gracious enough to join the program here for us. Always great to talk to Jeremy. Really, one, one of the really, truly good guys in Baltimore sports. Another couple of really good guys in Baltimore sports. Every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash Sports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys called up with Ravens punter Sam Cook before he breaks the team's all-time games played record. Navy football coach Ken... Oh, my God, Niamatala Lolo, and former, I apologize if I butchered that, and former Oriole Keith Moreland. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. And if you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them with PressBox's Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime of every game, and he's joined postgame by a panel of experts, which will include Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at, pr- at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and postgame at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is the refs fault all season long. Tomorrow, Glenn and Drew Forrester are with you for the Baltimore-Philadelphia contest. That's Press Box's Project Game Day every game day this season. Brought to you by Wise Markets and the U.S. Army. We gotta go get our final break before we return to you live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio to wrap up the bat around with Take Two Rake. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son... We're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. (laughs) 
Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Need your fantasies fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? I'm Ken Zales, and if you missed it, I was Fantasy Pro's number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country last year. And I'm with you every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the PressBox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or watch the show and get your fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the PressBox Fantasy Football Show with me, Ken Zales, every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by C. CBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. Also, you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Once again, lovely Glenn Clark music to get, take us out of our final break here on the bat around in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. I have to mention that studio twice every hour. I think I did it five times each hour. I've mentioned it a lot today. So, Chesapeake Employers Insurance, uh, go check them out. One of our uh, one of our sponsors here on the bat around. Uh, and now we're back, and we're going to do take to rake and normally we ask our 1135 guests to make a pick for take to rake but we did not do that this week because it was still up in the air until the break whether or not we were going to do take the rake because the world series has not been set yet and you don't want to pick a player who isn't playing so during the break zach and i decided that we're still going to make our picks but zach is going to pick a player from both american league teams to cover his bases. I'm going to pick a player from both National League teams to cover my bases uh, just, just so we can still play take to rake and still do it while there's still baseball being played. Now, last week on the show, we had Eric Arditi who picked... Who did he pick? Was it Ronald Acuna. He picked Ronald Acuna Jr. I picked Mookie Betts. And Zach picked uh, Marcelo Suna. And Acuna hit 176 so far this week. Uh, Mookie Betts, 222. Osuna has three home runs and I think like seven RBIs in that championship series. He's hitting 333 right now. So, Zach, you win, take the rake. And therefore, though it doesn't matter this who picks first because we're picking from two different leagues, you get to pick first today. Okay, so I am doing the AL, and starting off with the Houston Astros, I'm going to take Michael Brantley, uh, one of my favorite players in the league. I think he's just one of the best hitters I've ever seen. going to go with Brantley there. And then for Tampa Bay, I'm going to go with the hot hand, Randy Rosarena. Basically been one of the only guys hitting on this team. So those are my take-the-rake picks, and only one of them will go to the World Series. All right, so I'm going to take from the Dodgers, Cody Bellinger. 
I think he's due to break out. I love Cody Bellinger's swing. One of my favorite swings in the game. The dude always looked like looks like he's baked out of his mind. <laughs> he just always looks like he just ripped a he massive bong hit right before the game. He just, <laughs> but it, it, it's it just he's just relaxed when he plays, man. He just looks like he's just out there just doing his thing, and that he's, swing he's locked in. Yeah, that, and that swing is so pretty. And I think that he's he, if if the Dodgers somehow make it to the World Series, I think he's going to have a big series for them and for the Braves. As much as I love Nick Markakis, he doesn't play every day because he doesn't play against lefties. Hit three hundred in the series, though. He did, but he only he only played like three. He's only played like three games. Um, he sat out back to back games because they were facing lefties. I'm gonna take Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman is probably going to be your MVP if you talk to Leo Mazzoni. He is the MVP. Um, he just. Just a really solid. I think he's one of the more underrated players in the game. Uh, people don't talk about him, and he is every year one of the best offensive players in the National League. So I'm taking Freddie Freeman and Cody Bellinger as my players to take to rake in this final week of take to rake. Uh, now, before we get out of here, Ravens won a game last week. Man, they won it 27 to three against the Bengals. Um, they were up 17 to nothing basically after the first quarter, and yet still managed to throw the ball 28 times in the first half. They had 24 carries for 160 yards, uh, which is nice. But they they ran the ball 24 times against the 27th ranked pass, the 27th ranked rush defense, and they their offense scored three points. After the second quarter, defense had a had a fumble recover for a touchdown by by Patrick Queen. Otherwise, that's a twenty to three football game. Not impressed with the offense right now. What are you looking for from this game against the Eagles? Yeah, just improve everything offensively. Run the ball. That's the first and foremost thing to say is run the ball. You know, teams may have figured out the read option a little bit. They're put, you know, they're rushing the line of scrimmage. They're taking the outside linebackers and sticking them on the edges and not letting Lamar get the edge. But just run the ball. Give the ball to Edwards. Give the ball to Dobbins and run it up the middle. And that's where you're going to get those interior blocks. you got a pretty good line. It hasn't been great this year, but just run the ball, and I think they'll be fine. I do think this is one of the easier games on their schedule. Carson Wentz has not looked like the MVP caliber Carson Wentz we've seen in the past few years. So I do think they'll win this game pretty soundly. I'm going to go Ravens 27 and Eagles 10. All right. Now, you were pretty close as far as um, I think you said that the Bengals were going to score like six points. Last week. Oh, no, I said they were going to score 23 points. Oh, okay. I I had that offense overperforming a bit. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, Joe Joe Burrows really showed out. The Ravens were the first team to make him look like a rookie, you know, so, and that that defense was suffocating. Um, Look, on my show, The Football Frenzy, same as self plug alert, um, I picked the Ravens, I picked them to win, but I, I, I I couldn't come up with like a legitimate score. Uh, I couldn't come up with any like standout players because I just don't trust the offense right now. They haven't shown me anything since week one that leads me to believe that they can consistently do what they did last year. Um, so I'm going to say Ravens are going to win this game. Oh, you know what? I did say a score. It was 27-24. I, I think Ravens are going to win 27-24. Carson Wentz has thrown an interception in every game, and in four of the five games he's thrown two interceptions so he's been a turnover machine he's throwing to practice squad wide receivers miles sanders is a solid running back averaging over five yards a clip but they don't get him the ball they don't they don't they don't put the ball in his hands so ravens are going to win this game i say 27 24 i really hope i'm wrong i hope that they come out and they run the ball right down their throats and i think the ravens want to be a passing team well your passing is only gonna get better if you run the ball it sets up play action puts more men in the box and you know it's that cliche but it's a cliche for a reason you run you run to set up the pass 
Exactly. And I think that that's what they need to do. I don't want to see ever again 28 throws from Lamar Jackson in the first half. The only reason that he should ever throw that much in the first half is if they're losing by two or three scores. Um, I w- God, get J.K. Dobbins the ball. Got to get him the ball. Get him the ball. One carry for 34 yards. He's averaging like three touches a game, maybe. Get him the ball. He's the most explosive player on your team that you don't know about, that players don't know about, or I'm sorry, fans, because he just doesn't get the ball. Give him the football. The Ravens need to come out and make a statement in this game against the Eagles. I'm not sure that they will, but you have the bye coming up next week, and then you have the Steelers after the bye. I hope they go in there and they, they make a statement, get a ton of momentum going in. And like, How do I feel this bad about a 4-1 and football team? It's hard, but it, you know you look at the finer things and what they've done on offense and how they've kind of gotten away from their game a little bit this year and tried to make themselves into a team that they're not, and that's throwing the ball 28 times in the first half, like you said. And you know Lamar Jackson's going to have to find some other wide receivers to throw to. He only throws to Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews, and that's a problem because – Defending. Teams know it. Defense knows that. And, you know, Jesse Bates, the, the Bengals safety, said last week we knew exactly where he was going to go on every throw. He's got Miles Boykin wide open on some of these slants, some of these dig routes. He's got to throw the ball, got to get to the ball, to some other receivers. And those receivers have got to keep getting open for him. Well, and that just goes to show um, how bad that Bengals defense is because they knew who we wanted to throw to, and yet both guys had more than five catches. Yeah. Both guys had over 50 yards. Both guys scored a touchdown. So hopefully um, the Ravens get that offense back on track. Guys, we got to get out of here. As always, we ran about 10 minutes long today. Thanks for sticking with us if you did and listening to our Ravens talk. We will talk to you next week uh, about some more Orioles and playoff baseball. Thanks for tuning in.